So if you were to be an ultimate NPC in your own world, with the current personality that you have as a person, what do you feel your trope would be? What would my trope be? That's a hard one. To be fair, I would be a cult leader. You, you think that absolutely. that's Absolutely. I would absolutely Matching be a cult your real leader. life impersonality. personality? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Brad? Yeah. I think I would be just like a tavern keep. I would be one of the guys in town that... The most ev- generic man I've ever met in but my life. Everybody, yeah. But everybody knows, right? You keep bumping into and, oh yeah, like, you know the joke about, oh, that's Dave? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of that guy, right? Where he just keep showing up in the most random place. You're like, how the hell do you know this guy? Oh, I know him. Oh, I know Joe. <laughs> right? So, yeah, in the campaign, it would just be Brad. Oh, yeah, I know Brad. It reminds me of the... Um, the- merchant in Resident Evil 4 who just shows up around every corner just like out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Just, oh, oh this guy again. It's time to time to level up. And yeah, like, oh. you know something's coming. <laughs> I don't know. For me, I mean, clearly I will be probably working in a library. And and not one of the curators. I'm just the guy that never leaves. And also just shushes everyone. Yeah, angrily. You wouldn't even be an employee, though. You would be just <laughs> the guy who's constantly reading in the library. Yeah. It's a mimic. The Roundtable Dungeons and Dragons discussion podcast, where you never know what you're going to get. Welcome to another episode in our conversation on Dungeons and Dragons lore. I'm Adam, and with me today are Megan and Brad, and this episode is called Unforgettable Personalities of the Forgotten Realms. We've spent a lot of time talking about the locations of 5th edition, with an emphasis on the Forgotten Realms for the most part. But it's now time to jump into the who's who of Faerun. You can dig into our other episodes about the lore of 5th edition on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and dozens of other podcast apps, or you can jump over to YouTube and check out our useful playlists and a variety of topics there. This episode, though, is going to focus on the good, the bad, and the fugly of 5th edition. We're going to cover everything from high wizards to evil monsters, but we're going to leave the other campaign settings to themselves for the most part. There's a long list of non-playable characters to go through, so... Straighten your shirt and wipe the Cheeto crumbs off your fingertips. You're about to meet a lot of pretty impressive people. But before we jump into it, guys, episode 150. Woo! Wow. You made it. I was not expecting to ever get this far, and I'm, I'm pretty stoked about it. Maybe this is just are. the warm-up. This is also when I announced that I fired Dan and Terry. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a matter of time. I'm surprised they didn't quit. <laughs> we immediately lose all of your followers. <laughs> Dan keeps trying to quit, but I don't let him. He's usually chained to the editing chair. So um, let's uh, let's start this off by saying that um, this episode is going to be spoiler heavy for a lot of the published material, especially Curse of Strahd, Tomb of Annihilation, the two Waterdeep adventures, Princes of the Apocalypse, and Descent into Avernus. We're also going to touch on Rise of Tiamat and Icewind Dale, Rime of the Frost Maiden. If you are playing in one of these campaigns, then you should know that we're going to try to avoid the plot points as much as possible, but some of the big memorable celebrity tier personalities from these adventures are going to get a deep dive. Ask your DM to vet this episode before you get all spoilerific. Now, we did want to dig into the starter set and the adventure within called The Lost Minds of Fandelfer because most players have either already played it or are checking out D&D for the first time and shouldn't have that spoiled. Additionally, the three anthology books, Tales from the Yawning Portal, Ghosts of Saltmarsh, and Candlekeep Mysteries, are full of tight, short, simple stories, so doing a who's who just feels like it's explaining half of each short adventure. So we skipped those for this episode. In fact, we skipped most of the short adventures, like the Dragon of Ice Spire Peak for the Essentials Kit, Death House, which is the intro to Curse of Strahd, and uh, the House of Lament 
from Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft. Also, we decided to set aside the big celebrities from Eberron, Ravnica, and Theros. So... What are we even doing here? Yeah, what does that leave us with? <laughs> well, it'll be a short episode. Actually, <laughs> <Not> it <laughs> fucking will not. That's right. Today, we're breaking down the character biographies of Acquisitions Incorporated, as well as Rick and Morty and the kids from Stranger Things. My favorite books. Actually, I genuinely like Acquisitions Incorporated. I, I freaking love it. But that was a joke. Do not do not turn off this, this episode. I'm sorry. No, yeah. <laughs> So, um, as good as Acquisitions Incorporated is, that's not what this episode is. Today, we're going to dig into three human NPCs, each of which uh, get their own spotlight in 5th edition. We're also going to cover three big bad evil guys uh, with monster types that include a vampire, a lich, and a beholder with a pet fish. We're going to go over six supervillain level threats, including a fallen angel, an insane high level wizard, and evil embodiments of natural destruction. And then we're going to look at some god-tier names that strike fear into the hearts of mortals of the Forgotten Realms, including the Mother of Dragons, the Frost Maiden herself, and the Demon Prince of Madness. Don't forget Dave. <laughs> well, that was the Mother of Dragons. Oh, right. <laughs> no, and, and no, just okay, so it's not Dave, it's not Khaleesi, it's not Elsa, it's not Dan without a shirt on, who's also a Mother of Dragons. <laughs> Stop. <Okay. laughs> well, we're going to break down these personalities, not just because they're neat characters, that you can drop into your campaign, but because they offer a glimpse of the scope of 5th edition and may be able to provide you guys, the listeners, with some insights into the basic themes, challenges, villains, and peoples of 5th edition. No, we aren't going to break down every single one of Strahd's cohorts, all the cultists and all the early adventure modules, or who you can find in Skullport. And there are, frankly, so many NPCs in Waterdeep Dragon Heist that this episode would turn into a 10-part series about minor characters that you can find in a bar. So we've skipped that for the most part as well. Thank God. One final note for you guys uh, in the future. This episode is being recorded before Fizban's Treasury of Dragons, The Wild Beyond the Witchlight, and Strixhaven, A Curriculum of Chaos are published. I'm sure that given enough other books and enough interest from the listeners, we'll be able to make a sequel to this episode, but this was a lot of prep work, so I won't fucking do it. No. Give me somebody else. Yeah. Dan. <laughs> Dan and Dave and Terry. <laughs> yeah, there we go. But for now, let's find out who's in the Forgotten Realms. And to do that, we have to start in a campaign setting called Greyhawk. Fantastic. Yeah. Oh. So, for those of you who don't know, Gary Gygax, the creator of Dungeons & Dragons, had his own homebrew world of sword and sorcery that he liked to set his adventures in. He called it Greyhawk. And it was one of, if not the, primary setting for D&D for decades. I just totally skimmed over a wealth of complicated storytelling and publication history. But that's a, like a different story for a different episode. There you go. Greyhawk was the OG. That'll be the standalone Adam episode. Yeah. What's important <laughs> to note here is that Gygax and his friends, who played in the first ever campaigns of D&D, made epic, awesome characters who went on crazy adventures and became legendary heroes. They were so legendary that when they were retired as playable characters, they were then recycled into future stories as powerful NPCs. This is a time-honored tradition in D&D, and something that I myself include at my tables. Just because a player no longer uses a character doesn't mean that that character isn't still up to all sorts of shit. True. The most famous example of Gygax doing this is probably with Mordenkainen. Mm -hmm. You know him as the bearded man who brought you a Tome of Foes in 5th edition, as well as a little-known official... PDF about uh, Fiendish Folio, which everybody should check out. Underrated. Yeah, it's actually pretty good. So there's a splash page of art in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything where he's playing chess with Tasha, and he has a pretty famous fall from grace in one of the most popular adventures of the edition. 
where he has been reduced to the Mad Mage of Mount Baratok in Curse of Strahd. This is not to be confused with the Mad Mage of Undermountain from the Waterdeep sequel. Now, this Mad Mage, who has cast a mind-blank spell on himself and is suffering from madness due to demoralization. He starts off as a powerful enemy, but can, under the right circumstances, and with the right restorative magic, be convinced to join the party in their fight against Strahd. But why is he so important? Well, he's debatably one of the three most powerful mortal wizards in all of D&D, and it seems that he's moved over to the Forgotten Realms now. And it's not just him. You see, in Greyhawk lore, there was Mordenkainen, but also an organization of powerful heroes who worked with him. This organization is called Mordenkainen and the Circle of Eight. Most of the members are considered to be neutral, including Mordenkainen, and so their job in Greyhawk was to act as a watchdog or uh, to preserve the balance in the realm. Normally, this has been a subtle job, but during this last era, the forces of evil have started making plays against the material plane. So Mordenkainen and the Circle of Eight have been siding with the forces of good. But still, they try not to take the limelight, and they often work as advisors or silent partners. They rarely make themselves known, and these days, no one is really certain who the Eight are. People know Mordenkainen, but they don't necessarily know who all the others are. And this is because there was a precursor to this group called the Citadel of Eight that was consumed by ego and ambition, and it rotted from within. It was named after Mordenkainen's Obsidian Citadel, and it included Mordenkainen, his youthful apprentice Bigby, who was originally an evil wizard that Mordenkainen has coerced to the side of good, an ally of theirs named Robolar, who was a great warrior, a powerful cleric named Rigby, and his assistant Ereg, a powerful mage named Tenser and his friend Certain, and an outdoorsman named Otis. Even the great prince Melf Brightflame and Robolar's brother Tarek were known to be in regular congress with the Citadel. But even though they had great adventures and committed heroic deeds, the Citadel of Eight was always a little at odds with each other. Robolar often fought with Mordenkainen and Tenser over philosophical differences. Certain was constantly disrespected, and Otis, the outdoorsman, started to feel that the Citadel was focusing too much on urban issues and powerful treasures, and not enough on natural issues and the true threats toward balance. And then there came a great battle that claimed many lives, the most notable of which was Certain. He died, and he died alone. The rest of the Citadel was too consumed with infighting and preoccupied with personal quests to join him in battle, and Certain fell on the battlefield. This was enough to fracture the remaining group. Tenser blamed Mordenkainen and quit. Tarek and Ereg disappeared from the history books. Even Bigby quit and returned to his homeland. But the forces of evil don't give up so easily. So a year later, Mordenkainen, who had buried himself in arcane studies, realized that the forces of evil were becoming more brazen and dangerous. So he decided to start a new organization. The difference this time would be that all the members would share a basic spiritual and philosophical viewpoint, and they would work as one. This is the Circle of Eight. Robolar, Otis, and Rigby would not be invited back, there would instead be a focus on mages and wizards and a mastering of the arcane. So Bigby returned. And joining him were Otto, Rary, Leomond, Nistul, Dromage, and Bucknard. Eventually, <laughs> even the embittered Tensor returned, although his ambitious nature grated on some of the others. After some time, Odaluk joined the ranks, and after Bucknard disappeared, Jalarzi, the first female member of the Eight, was admitted. Bucknard, it assumed, 
has gone off to fight the demigod Chaos, whose cult killed his sister. We actually have a remnant of Chaos in Volo's Guide to Monsters with the undead horror known as the Spawn of Chaos. Now, most of these names would stick out to you, especially those of you who have cast arcane spells. Odaluk should be known for his spells Odaluk's Revillian Spear and Odaluk's Freezing Spear. Most of the others have a single reference to them in spell names like Nistul's Magic Aura or Dromage's Instant Summons. There's Otto's Irresistible Dance, Tensor's Floating Disc, and Tensor's Transformation, and Rary's Telepathic Bond. And of course, Leoman's Secret Chest and Tiny Hut and Bigby's Hand. Even their ally, Prince Melf, has two spells that have appeared in 5th edition, Melf's Acid Arrow and Melf's Minute Meteors. And of course, Mordenkainen himself is known for his Faithful Hound, Magnificent Mansion, Private Sanctum, and Sword. Another time-honored tradition of D&D is the idea that when a wizard creates a spell, they name it after themselves. Abadelzim's Horrid Writing, Eganazar's Scorcher, these names are brutal, Evard's Black Tentacle, Maximilian's Earthen Grasp, and Snillock's Snowball Swarm are all official examples of this. These are all real characters in D&D. Evard the Black is a neutral evil mage. Hell, even Jim's Glowing Gun and Jim's Magic Missile are technically official from Acquisitions Incorporated. As a sidebar when I was doing this, um, I noticed that uh, Dromage is actually just Jim Ward mm-hmm. backwards, oh. who is the name of the player. Yeah. Um, and this got me looking at the other names, and Snillock is very conspicuously Collins backwards. Mm. But I couldn't find a player whose last Ooh, name was Collins, mm-hmm. so uh, I can't confirm this. If anybody knows if that's what it's named after, let, let me know. It's going to bug me for a while. So, uh, now there are a few other reasons why uh, some of the other spells don't have famous names attached to them. First of all, in 5th edition, no divine spell so far has been attached to a mortal's name. Make of that what you will. But when looking at the arcane, we can assume that spells are lacking a name for one of four reasons. Either the mage who created it was not famous enough to be remembered. I assume, like, Comprehend Languages is like this. It's a useful spell, but probably written in a lot of books, but not flashy enough to to raise a, a scholar up to fame, you know? The person who wrote it is like... I thought it was great. Yeah. <laughs> um, maybe a great number of people were needed to work together to create a spell. I assume the thematic tie of bestow curse to hag covens is why that spell probably doesn't have a, a name of a single hag. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. a bunch of them. All their names are on the research paper. Yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> um, another reason it's might all. be that the spell is so old that the creator's name has been lost to time. Fireball, <laughs> Eldritch Blast, Fly, Haste, Detect Magic. These all feel like basic magics that have been around for centuries. So I can assume that if it was Brad's fireball, they would have just dropped the Brad at some point. Disrespectful. Rolling (laughs) in his grave. (laughs) And the final reason may be that we simply don't want to promote the person who created the spell. Do we really want to make the person who created Disintegrate or Power Word Kill famous? Let those evil wizards and arch liches lay forgotten in the dust of history. And we'll promote Mordenkainen and Big B and the rest of them. So let's look back at the Circle of Eight again. You'll notice that the only members who didn't create spells were Buckland, who disappeared, and Jalarzi. There's a reason for this. Just as Jalarzi was finishing her six-month trial membership with the Circle of Eight, and before she could really sink her teeth into that level of study, there was a great tragedy. That tragedy was Vecna Rose. Ooh. Mm. The Circle of Eight panicked and went to fight, all except Mordenkainen, who was scared that he might be tempted by the raw powers in play. 
So he stayed back, and every other member of the Circle of Eight was brutally killed in battle against Vecna's forces. Having no other choice, Mordenkainen rallied all of the allies and apprentices he could and waged war. They were victorious, barely, and Mordenkainen returned to his citadel alone. There, he used the spell Clone to bring the Circle of Eight back to life, which is why we have a spell called Clone. It's right out of the lore. This took time, though, and by the time that the clones reached maturity, Greyhawk had descended into chaos and ruin, known as the Greyhawk Wars. The newly formed Circle of Eight scattered to help where they could, and just as the conflict was coming to a close, the Eight reconvened and were stabbed in the back by a Rary and an ex-member of the Citadel of Eight, Robolar. Rary attacked the site where the final treaty was being signed, and he killed Tensor and Odaluk and most of the others. Meanwhile, Robolar attacked the homes of Tensor and Odaluk, destroying their clones. These two then fled the realm of Greyhawk. After the end of the war, three new members were admitted to the ranks. Alhamazad the Wise, Theodane, Ariason, and Warness Starcoat. A long-lost clone of Tensor was eventually discovered on the moon, of all places, but he has declined any invitations to rejoin the Circle of Eight. Since then, Mordenkainen became something of a planar wanderer, which is how he managed to get trapped in Barovia, and his inability to escape drove him mad. So that's how Mordenkainen made it into the Forgotten Realms. And if Mordenkainen is in Barovia, and Barovia is in Ravenloft, and Ravenloft is in the Shadowfell, and the Shadowfell is part of the planar scope of the Forgotten Realms, then the others must exist here too. 100%. Yep. Nistul, Leomond, Dromage, Otto, and Jalarzy, Melf and Otis, and even Bucknard may be out there in the Forgotten Realms somewhere. The existence of their named spells in the Forgotten Realms certainly point in that direction. I mean, hell, even Rary or Robillard exists somewhere in Faerun. And before some of you old school purists stomp your feet and declare poppycock, 5th edition has been subtle but definitive with this. Mordenkainen is here. Ravenloft is distinctly part of the Shadowfell now. I mean, Vecna is name-dropped over 35 times in the Dungeon Master's Guide alone. The lore of Greyhawk has been subtly injected into the Forgotten Realms now, and these pieces of lore are everywhere. There are so many other heroes and celebrities hiding around the corner. Look at the magic items, for example. Keoftum's ointment is here. So are Hayward's handy haversack and Quail's feather token and Nolzer's marvelous pigments. There are Dern's instant fortress and the apparatus of Qualish. So where are Vecna, Keoftum, Qualish and Quail, these fucking names. <laughs> I just want to meet the Circle of Eight guy whose name is just, like, Jim. But, like, actually just Jim. Nothing special. Nothing backwards, nothing fancy. Well, there was an Otto and an Otis. So, like, in and That's among these guys, like, I like Otis is like, my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> so, look, the lore of the Forgotten Realms is deep and broad. But now that we're adding more to the fold, it only gets richer and more intense. Good guys and bad guys are everywhere in this campaign setting, and I strongly believe that these familiar faces are ripe for plucking out and putting in every campaign, no matter what homebrew world or published adventure you're playing. If you can grab Goblin Stat Blocks or the Tarask, why not Mordenkainen or Vecna or Dromage? Having a big personalities and celebrities walking the world adds depth to the adventure and excitement. Or it could add dread. Because it's not just the good guys that have ported over from Greyhawk. I mentioned Vecna and Rary and Robolar, sure, but there's one clear omission, and 
That's she of otherworldly guises, mind whips, caustic bruise, and hideous laughter. The longtime foe of the Circle of Eight and the absolutely terrifying Igwilv. Yeah, you thought I was going to say Tasha, but no, uh, I did kind of. Igwilv is her other name, and she has a storied past. This is the last piece of lore that I want to get into before we dive into the whirlwind tour of the 5th edition names and faces. So, let's look at Tasha. Originally, Igwilv was a mysterious archmage who players in early editions would hear rumors of. At around the same time, a young girl wrote a letter to Gary Gygax asking for a spell in D&D to be based around laughter. Thus, in Dragon Magazine number 67, Tasha's uncontrollable hideous laughter was published for the first time. About two years later, an adventure published in Dragon Magazine was released, and in it, the players got to explore Baba Yaga's hut, and they came across mention of an NPC named Natasha the Dark. But there was no real correlation between any of these events. Hmm. In second edition, a book was published called The Demonomicon of Igwil. If you're lucky, you may be able to find a rare reprint of it when it was called The Fiendonomicon of Igwilv, which was when TSR, the publisher, tried to avoid all of that demon reference for the Satanic Panic. Hmm. In 3rd edition, there was an adventure module published that revealed that Tasha was once a member of a famous group of adventurers called the Company of Seven. (sighs) The (laughs) Citadel of Eight, Mordenkainen and the Circle of Eight, and now the Company of Seven. During this adventure, Tasha helps the Company of Seven and her mentor, and probably lover, which was scandalous in the world at the time, who was uh, whose name is Zagig. And uh, they actually captured and imprisoned Fraz Erblu, the Demon Lord. After this incredible feat, Tasha began to secretly commune with Fraz Erblu and learned a great many dark secrets. She then stole a bunch of Zagig's magical tomes, including the Demonomicon. This led to the revelation that Tasha is actually Igwilv, the powerful mage, and that she had connections to Baba Yaga's adoptive daughter, Natasha. As a sidebar, some of the other members of the Company of Seven were Kiofdom, Nolzer, Quail, and Heward, which I mm-hmm. mentioned before. Mm-hmm. Um, and Zagig, interestingly enough, or Zagig, depending on how you want to pronounce it, well, that's actually a poorly disguised reversal of the player's last name, which is Gygax. So that was the creator himself. Son of a bitch. Yep. And so Gary Gygax seduced Tasha, who was his apprentice in his own game. Mm. Uh, I don't know how to. I don't know what to make of this. Uh, good storytelling. Let's let's move on. Yeah. In fourth we edition, we don't kink shame. We don't kink shame here. <laughs> I'm totally gonna write myself a sexy NPC. Yeah. <laughs> That is the most Terry thing I've ever heard. Okay, in 4th edition... But he's got to do Stan. (laughs) uh, We learned that Igwil was an occasional ally and lover of Gradst, the Demon Lord. As a matter of fact, she used the Demonomicon to imprison Gradst, who seduced her, gave her gifts, and eventually escaped. Gradst then betrayed Igwil, nearly killing her, before she could kill his earthly manifestation, and he reduced her physical to a wretched and scarred shadow of her former self. Later, we learned that she was born Natasha, adopted by Baba Yaga, took the name of Hura, then reverted back to Tasha, and finally became Igwilv when she fell from grace. At this point, Igwilv was presumed dead. But then in 5th edition, the book Tasha's Cauldron of Everything was released, and it's largely written through the viewpoint of Tasha, but before she succumbs to the powers of darkness, and transforms into Igwilv. So interestingly enough, 
Mordenkainen ended up in 5th edition at the end of his story, but Tasha's story is just getting started. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So she's in the middle of her story, and there's actually a splash page of her playing chess with Mordenkainen Mordenkainen in, in her book. So the continuity here is a little bit kerfucky. So wibbly wobbly timey wimey. Yep, there you go. The um, artwork from her life actually includes other portions as well, including her lounging near Baba Yaga's famous chicken-legged uh, walking hut. Uh, she's sitting in the throne as a witch queen at one point. She's communicating with grass through a magic mirror and another splash page. She has an ever-shifting alignment that suits her needs at the time, often communes with and champions the abyss. And actually has an adopted sister, Elena the Fair. Her presence and influence in 5th edition is apparently very early in her career as a budding archvillain. Because she was one of the main opponents of the Circle of Eight back in Greyhawk. Hmm. To the point where the Circle of Eight actually killed her daughter, the vampire Drelzna. She has a particular disliking of Warnes Starcoat. And actually faced off against him a couple of times, most notably... Before he could activate Tensor's secret clone, she didn't want that to happen and, and tried Naturally. to stop it. Mm. So, in 5th edition, she seems to be poised on the precipice of falling into her evil ways. We know that she will become Igwill, that she will become the mother of witches, the queen of witches, the lover of grass, and the mother of a vampire. But she's not there yet. So why the fuck is this not an adventure path? This yeah. is more interesting than half of the shit that I've read Absolutely. out there. 100%. So, guys... I have just spoken a lot about the Circle of Eight. It's got a history lesson. Yeah, and about Tasha as well. Um, let's uh, let's grab dice. I have a couple of, of questions for you. Nat 20. Son of a bitch. I got a 15. All right, uh, Brad. Yes, go for it. Which member of the Circle of Eight should they bring back next? I gave you a huge list. You did. Me. Um, I'm just going to go with, uh, was it Starcloak? Uh, yeah, it's Warnes Starcoat. Yeah, yeah Starcoat. Starcoat. <laughs> that was probably one of the more interesting ones, in my opinion. Um, I'd like to see a little more of that story of how, like, the conflict, especially the hatred with Tasha. I'd like to see, because if they get brought back, then you're probably going to have to bring Tasha in and we're going to get a little more information. So that's one... I think that's why I want to see that. He's also really, he's one of the newest members. Yeah. And he was really active and proactive in the world, stomping out evil. Yeah. So, so he, I think it's, and the name alone. Uh, Warnez Starcoat. War, yeah. Love it. It's like the most basic name out of all of them, except for Otis and Odo. <laughs> <laughs> Starcoat. <laughs> um, you know, I want to see Rary come back. Yeah. I want to see Rary and Robolar come back and like, Face down the, the these guys went off to become more powerful. Yeah. And now when they show up after destroying the Circle of Eight and thinking that they killed everybody, they killed Odaluke. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I want to see that bring them to justice campaign. That would be interesting. Megan? Uh I wanted to go like with the OG crew, like the five that left. Yeah. Originally, and then kind of came back and did their bullshit. But like Otis was one of the ones that stuck out to me because he's the hippie that was like, I'm sorry to put your, uh, this is not balanced. <laughs> <laughs> the world is more important than your bullshit. And I kind of just want to see that conflict. So I'd yeah. love to see something built around that. Well, Tensor and Morden kind of do not get along. Yeah. They're on the same side, but he's very much the Raphael of the Circle of Eight. Right? So, <laughs> yeah. Fuck you guys. I'm going over here to mope. Mm-hmm. Right? So mm-hmm. uh, I will help you. Hell with a bummer, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck off. Stop it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Brad, if you could vote for a single one of the spells that have been left behind, 
that don't have a name, which one of them should get a name and who should get it? Ooh. I think clone actually needs, like, a name assigned. Like, that's a big enough spell. Right? Like, it's come over. The spell exists. But you should... That should be credited. Like, that's a big fucking deal. Yeah. Uh, that Absolutely. I assume that he needed help from apprentices and shit, which is... Apprentices like, don't get recognition. <laughs> <laughs> it's like lab assistants for yeah, the Nobel exactly. Prize. Yeah. Like, fuck you. Just at all. Yeah. Right? You just, they just get penned on at the end. It's, it's the end of the original Gilligan's Island. Yeah, song, exactly. Right? And the and rest. The rest. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to have to say I want Power Word Kill to just be called Vecna's Word or something like that. Right. Give it more... Give it more weight and have people like dread the name of this person. Do we have any spells after Vecna? Or is it just the hand of Vecna? We have the eye and the hand of Vecna, yeah. which is how you raise Vecna. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there are, there's so the Book of Vile Darkness is all about Vecna. Mm-hmm. Like there's so many. Like I say, like there are 37 different references to Vecna. Yeah. He's name dropped 37 times in right. the DMG. So, and it's mostly in the items. Yeah. But you'd think more spells should be. Um, but again, you talked about maybe you want to bury the name, right? Yeah. So that's probably the case. That's why I want to give Fireball a name. I know that's like super basic. I'm a white girl. I get it. But <laughs> I just really want to know the person that made that shit. And then, again, to your point, to curse that name every time someone lights something on fire. I will tell you this right now. It should be named after James. James. Because he literally <laughs> dropped Fireball on Allies. Almost every session for yeah. an entire campaign. Wow. So Was that an evil campaign at least? It was an evil campaign. Okay. And he's Fair like, he, he sat there and looked at them out of the corner of his eye and went, how many hit points have you lost? Ah, you can take it. Sometimes they couldn't take it. I didn't I, ask how big the room was. I said I cast Fireball. <laughs> exactly. I can just imagine the person who is building this spell and experimenting with it and learning how to control it. Yeah. And then every time it goes off, it's just like, Kyle! <laughs> you just settle it down, sir. <laughs> take about 10% off the top there. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, are you interested in reinstating all of these NPCs? Should we get the Circle of Eight come back in full lore? Brad, what do you think? I think they've gone far enough at this point that, yes, they may as well continue to bring them in. And maybe not all of them. Maybe you have a chance to introduce some of the characters that we're going to cover in the rest of this uh, session. Mm -hmm. Right? Where you can bring in some of the eight. Maybe some of them were lost between the realms. Maybe some of them didn't make it through. They don't all have to be on the material plane either. No, they don't. But you could have an option here now for if Mordecai can actually make it out and make it back to the Forgotten Realms, mm-hmm. you really had an opportunity to get the band back together, as they so say. Yeah. Right? And if you're missing some pieces, you can bring in some new names. Yeah. I Look, I absolutely... I, I 100% want to, want to see the Circle of Eight. Mm-hmm. And I want to see all of the people that hate them as well. Like, Otis fucked off to be the world's greatest ranger. Yeah. And never to come back to the Citadel of Eight. I want him to come back so bad. So having him <laughs> pop up before you introduce Mordenkind into yes. a campaign would be really interesting. Oh, this motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> or he pops up first. Because he yeah. just like, <laughs> party thinks, oh, this guy's cool. Let's make friends with him. And then all of a sudden Mordenkind comes in. I have the secret what mission. What the hell are you doing? <laughs> None of your business. <laughs> We're on just a mission here, from God. Just here for a good time, not a long time. <laughs> I, I can uh, I can assume, Megan, that you want to see these guys. Perfect. I do. I really do. I think that there is like enough lore and enough history that doesn't make sense that you can homebrew this to make a lot of fun in any campaign that you build. Or if they were to bring it back, there are so many pieces they could pull from. Like yeah. it, it, and it's hard to like want more when we already have so much to, to use. 
but I think no, I know I'm greedy. Give me more. I, yeah. That's what I mean. It's like I would. I'm I'm happy to have a little bit more and a little bit more of those characters that you can pull from. And for those that are super versed in lore. If they were to suddenly appear in a campaign, like I darn well know if you threw it one of these... It would be a big deal. It would be, for the people that knew. I know, I, know, yeah. I know for sure if Adam threw one of these characters into my campaign that I'm playing with Dan, Dan would be like losing his shit in the corner. I'd be like, what the fuck is your problem? Yeah. He would like, be both pooping and jerking at the same time. Pretty much, yeah. Whereas like there would be like myself and I was at the table are like, I don't know what you're talking yeah. about. But then like the excitement that that person would have to explain to you this is a big deal yeah. uh, would be a, just fun to watch. It's been long enough, right? We're far enough into 5th edition at this point that I feel like you can start to do these sorts of things. I think it's going to be overwhelming at the start of the edition. Yeah. But you have so many people who just aren't versed in the history of D&D at this point with so many people coming in with 5th edition that you have an opportunity to really bring... You, you can either reinstate the old historic lore or... like why Rewrite not, it. Yeah, rewrite Give us the adventure module yeah. where they have to... The Company of Seven has to trap Fraser Blue. We have enough people who are versed in the world of comic books and multiverses in general that and it would be really easy to just... and reboots. So no matter what, like there's going to be some stuff that's probably controversial in the old material. Absolutely. It'll be so easy to rewrite, retcon, erase it from history and just make it new that you don't even have to worry about bringing that stuff over, right? Mm-hmm. Well, this just screams like broken Avengers coming back together to me. Yeah, you know it does, I mean? right? So Absolutely. I just, it just fits. Are you going to behave for this commercial? Almost certainly not. Why do I even bother with you? Why do you bother me? That's not what... Hey, everyone, and welcome to another stupid commercial that I don't want to fucking... Adam. Daniel. Will you just... Please? (sighs) Hi, everyone. It's that time again where... Thank God. Dan, I'm trying to record a commercial here. It's that time again where we remind you that we have a mailbag episode coming up soon. So if you have any questions, comments, or random thoughts for any of the hosts, please let us know. We actually really look forward to the mailbag episodes because it lets us talk directly with you guys, the listeners. NPCs. Most of the questions these days are directly related to D&D, but you know we'll answer just about anything. Want to answer why you bother me? Stop it. You can send us direct messages through Instagram, find the post on the subreddit, or send us an email at info So the next time you're listening to an episode and struck with a quandary, perplexity, or bewilderment, Take a few seconds and type out a quick message for any one of the hosts. We'll make sure that your question gets added to the list. And also remember to enter our giveaways for a chance to have an entire episode dedicated directly to you. It's these interactions that bring the most joy to our lives. That and beer. What? You know what? We really should just get together to answer some questions one day and get drunk. Remember the time I showed up drunk for that one episode? Oh my god, I edit so much out of that one. This advertisement has been brought to you by cirrhosis and idiocy. Please drink responsibly. Don't tell me what to do. You're not my real dad, Dan. Okay, so now let's dig into a little bit deeper dives. We each got a bunch of NPCs that we wanted to cover um, or that we didn't want to cover. Yeah, we we were resigned (laughs) to doing research on. Um, But... Let's talk about what we're not going to cover, and that's Storm King's Thunder, because to even talk about some of the NPCs is to reveal huge spoilers for that entire campaign, and it's such a political campaign that it does a major disservice. Um, Dragon Heist, because of the sheer fucking abundance. The starter set, like I said, uh, Dragon of Ice Spire Peak. 
Um, these are just things new players tend to play. And um, all the anthologies as well, right? So yeah. uh, instead, what we've done is we've grabbed a number of uh, human NPCs. So let's uh, let's grab our dice and see who's going to cover theirs first. Clap. Is that another natural 20? <gasps> you're right going off. last with a 17, Megan. I know. Wow. All right, Brad, you son of a bitch. All right. I am going to dive into somebody who I'm quite familiar with. Oh, you're going to dive into somebody? Yeah. You, uh... Phrasing. <laughs> Get a running start. There you go. <laughs> oh, sounds painful. I feel uncomfortable. All right. Uh, so, Durden, I spent a lot of time at the awning portal in my, uh, during those times where we were all separated and on our adventures. Yep. Uh, so Durnan is the proprietor of the Yawning Portal in Waterdeep. So he is an experienced, renowned adventurer, has a long history within the world of Faerun and the Forgotten Realms. Most of our 5th edition information about uh, Durnan comes from Waterdeep Dragon Heist and Tales of the Yawning Portal especially. Yep. Um, as well as Dungeon of the Mad Mage. Yes. Given the fact that the entrance to the Dungeon of the Mad Mage is in the center of the Yawning Portal, which is his establishment. To the best of my knowledge and research, his initial introduction went as far back as 2nd edition. Uh, if you are an adventurer and you step foot into the Honoring Portal, Durnan himself isn't going to stand out to you unless you know who he is. Chances are you probably will if you've lived any time, especially in Waterdeep or Forgotten Realms, but... Well, it's interesting. I thought he was a dwarf the first time I ever heard oh, of him. Oh, really? Well, yeah, Durnan is, Durnan, yeah right? Durnan is a very much dwarven name, but no, human man... Uh, we'll get into a bit of his physical appearance. Um, he may look like his best days are behind him. He's going to look kind of nondescript. Older man, gray beard. Um, but should you start to try to start any sort of shit in his bar, you will soon find out that he is not to be messed with. He's not like like gray gray. He's got no, wisps, no. wisps of gray. Absolutely. Yeah, he would probably, if you looked at him, he is probably mid-50s. He's, he's gray like Dan is. Or myself, sadly, these days. Is Dan gray? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Dan's gray at the temples. Oh, yeah. He's just bald to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, love, I often forget he ever had hair. <laughs> Sorry, Dan. <laughs> Don't apologize. He knows. <laughs> um, Durnan is not likely to strike up a conversation with you if you are in his establishment. He will be running bar, taking care of things, but he is just, for all intents and purposes, an unassuming man. Yeah. However, you'll find out pretty quick that he is uh, very well established in the lore of the Forgotten Realms. Uh, he generally doesn't have much to say. We'll tend to get one-word answers from him, if any at all, if you ask him any questions. He has no known family, and you'll be hard-pressed to get anything related to his backstory out of him. But he was an adventurer. He was an adventurer. He's got tons of stories, but you're not going to find out any of them, because he doesn't want to talk about it. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> he keeps a magical greatsword named Grinvault behind the bar, but only uses it in the event that something comes up through the awning portal that shouldn't have come up. Mm. He also keeps a double crossbow at hand, which is a short-range crossbow, but it fires two bolts simultaneously. So, so like a double barrel shotgun. It's basically. a sawed-off shotgun under yeah. the bar. This That's, is the, this yeah. is the, the hick. Is what so we're he doing. has a magical greatsword, <laughs> but it doesn't come out. He just he, he tends to just use so this. So do I. Yeah. Stop it. Uh, <laughs> I was going to make a joke, but I'm it like, it's really, not my place. <laughs> it was really uncomfortable because I was looking at it in the eye when he said it. I, I, I puckered at you. Yeah. Mm. Ugh, something you puckered. Stop it. <laughs> so uh, since, should somebody come into the having to cause any sort of trouble. Uh, he prefers to fight with his fists or an improvised weapon like a chin. He definitely has tavern brawlers. Yeah, he's a brawler, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's not in his stat block, but he definitely has it. Uh, as far as older sources go, we know that Durnan has a strong dislike of hobgoblins, but we don't know why. 
Uh, there's some speculation that either his family was attacked or killed by hobgoblins, or perhaps a tragedy from his adventuring days. Um, but we don't actually know why. But he has a very... Should sure a hobgoblin step in that bar, they will not be welcome. They will be out quickly. If you look into the lore around Waterdeep, um, there have been some demonic attacks that have happened within the city. Um, and it, a lot of them center on the Yawning Portal. Yes. So Dernan is like... Very familiar with the forces of evil. Yes. So yes. I wonder if that has anything to do. There's like, yeah. There's a lot of speculation over what it could be. Yeah. Mm. Um, we know from older sources that he uh, at one point was married to a one much younger than himself. By the way. Of Just course. A note, but when you have a magical sword, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we also my scabbard be dripping in bitches. Literally or figuratively. We need to make that one of our shirts. <laughs> Check the merch store, Dan. Can you get on that? Or sorry, Dave. I guess that's intern Dave's job. Uh, or co- Dave. Coffee bitch, Dave. Dave's purview is coffee. Now. We'll, make, the- we'll make Kyle the new intern. Perfect. Okay. Kyle, get on it. Um, and we also know that from that relationship, he's fathered a daughter. Mm. Um, so he, he does have family, but we don't know anything more of them beyond that. Um, so in his adventuring days, he actually managed to venture deep into Undermountain. And emerge laden with treasure, which is why he opened the Yawning Portal. Because the Yawning Portal at that point was built on top of Undermountain. Mm. And that was kind of an act entry point. Again, the Mad Mage built his entire dungeon under Undermountain, right? So yeah. mm-hmm. this is where we find ourselves. Um, so he used the wealth that he got from journeying into Undermountain to tear down Halister's Tower. Again, Halister being the Mad Mage of Undermountain. And then he built the Yawning Portal on top of it, which he now owns and operates solely. He is also one of the lords of Waterdeep. So if we know of the history of Waterdeep, there are, is it seven lords that rule Waterdeep? No, there's more than that. Is there more than that? Yeah, yeah I can't remember the number. Circle of 19. <laughs> <laughs> no, but they, but they are all secret from each other, right? Correct, yes. But we do know that he is one of them. Um, so secret. He, yeah. From Dragon Heists, he has a stat block for 5th edition. So he does, we can get into a little bit of what he's like. So he has a CR rating of 9, which, by the way, if we were to convert that to player level, is... Yeah, he's a fucking He's powerful. a beast. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to beat any of your level 21 to 1. For your tavern brawler human, it's pretty badass. Yeah. Like, he's going to stand toe-to-toe with any uh, adventure. No, uh, not 20, I guess. No, that'll, no, be, about, that, that'll be about level 12, 14. 12, yeah. So. Where every still, campaign tends to still die Still toe-to-toe. Yeah. And if you fight him <laughs> in his own property, he's going to have some advantages as well. I'd yeah. give him letter actions. Absolutely, 100%. Um, not in the stat block, human. but I would. Uh, so CR9, strength and con being absolute monstrous stats. Um, everything else being, like, no less than average. Yeah. He's solid across the board, but specifically his strength and con being his biggest stats. Uh, I mentioned earlier he has a magical sword, uh, Grimvault, which in this case for rules is a magical sword of sharpness. He has boots of striding and springing, elven chain armor, and a ring of spell turning. Which gives him advantage on all saving throws against spells that target him. That's pretty cool. That's all right. Yeah. Uh, if he rolls out of 20 on the save due to the ring, he can actually reflect spells, any, any spell lower than 8th level back of a caster. Oh, wow. So very cool. I mean, 5% chance, but still very cool. Hey, you know what? One out of 20 times. Should it happen, it will be very cool. Um, personally, I would give him the top. I talked about it earlier, but the tavern brawler feat, I feel like, fits in with the stat line. It's not there, but it should be. Yeah. Um... But yeah, so if you're looking to add any sort of veteran adventurer to your campaign, uh, this would be a good stat block to use. Especially if you've gone back in time. Yep. Right? So 
There, there are so many adventures. The Forgotten Realms is named because it is a realm full of forgotten, forgotten adventurers and forever. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So if you like, I love the idea of going back and playing through some of these mm-hmm. big events in, in the history, including these attacks on Waterdeep, these walking statues of Waterdeep yeah. and whatnot. Dernan might have been there when those were Absolutely. first reinstated or so. The dive into Undermountain would be a very cool campaign, right? Yeah. To go defeat Halaster, yeah. or at least knock him out of the city. Mm-hmm. Um, as well, you just need like a generic NPC stat block for like a very seasoned veteran, especially if you have like a bar o- tavern owner who's retired. Steal the stat, block. but can yeah. keep all those strong adventurers in line. Absolutely, like I always think about that and the fact that there's always these like overpowered adventurers hanging out in a tavern. I couldn't imagine yeah. just being the barkeep and a fight breaks out. The fuck are you gonna you do? You just let it go <laughs> and you rebuild from the insurance money if you're like yeah. Whereas tavern. this guy would be like, get the fuck out of my bar. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> Now, his stat block is in... It's not Tales from the Yawning Portal. No, Dragon Heist. It's in Dragon Heist. It is in Dragon Heist. Despite the fact that he's on the cover of Tales from the Yawning Correct. Portal. Correct. Well, because Yawning Portal, again, his... Yeah, yeah. His domains. Yes. That's what he does. And, again, if you do do Dungeon of the Mad Mage, you will run yeah, into him. Yeah, you said do do. But you will meet him right at the start of Dungeon of the Mad Mage. So, spoilers. Well, not <laughs> really spoilers. Not really spoilers. <laughs> he's literally the first person you will meet at yeah. the start of Dungeon Page of the one. Mad Mage. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, definitely a very cool character worth looking into for some more inspiration as far as barkeeps, owners, ex-adventurers. Look up this stat block. He, he seems like he would be a really good plug-and-play for just a generic kind of... Absolutely. So, I got someone who's a little bit more specific. Um, it's still a human, but um, I've, I got Rudolph Van Richten. So, Wonderful. yeah, he's D&D's answer to Van Helsing. It's the glowing red nose that gets me. No, 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 Stop. not not that Rudolph. Reindeers. So, so no, this guy's a monster hunter. He himself, in the lore, has been he has published many books about monster hunting. The most famous being Van Richten's Guide to Vampires, which is why in the real world we have Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft. That's kind of so thematically where it comes. And he's from. always seen carrying a Nintendo Switch around playing Monster Hunter. Stop it. I'm done with Brad. So, um, you're going to get fired like Dan and Terry. <laughs> Woo! We can see again. Shut up, male slave. So, um, so, the thing about Van Richten is he was um, born and lived his entire life in um, Darkon, which is one of the domains of dread in Ravenloft, which is tucked in the corner of the Shadowfell. Mm. So... He's kind of buried a little bit deep, and even though his book is named after him, and there's quite a bit of art about him and his protege, and his protege, protege, his protege, <laughs> the master protege. Stop it. <laughs> um, he uh, like he actually is just barely a footnote in the book itself because he was a major player in previous editions, mm-hmm. um, and as a matter of fact, he's a direct inspiration for another NPC in Curse of Scrod. So here's his deal: he is he was married. To a woman named Ingrid, and he had a son named Erasmus. In Darkon, there was a group of brigands who were a corrupted group, essentially, of the Vistani, who are the uh, quote unquote uh, Romani, um, the Romani stereotype, yeah. right? Of yeah. The traveling, like, uh, fortune tellers and guardians of the, of the area. And Travelers, so, shall we yeah. say, yeah. So, all about caravans and whatnot, but these guys were brigands and, and they were. Um, criminals essentially and they brought to him one night someone who was injured and he is a doctor and he refused to help oh so they turned around and they're like well 
fuck you then. We're going to kidnap your son and sell him to a vampire. Of course. Cool. So they did. And kind of them. Yeah, right. Um, but it was actually to the most powerful vampire in that domain. So he hunted down and destroyed the brigands, but not before their leader placed a curse on him. And the curse has been very specific through all editions. And it's this. Live you always among monsters and see everyone you love die beneath their claws. Harsh. The vampire then murdered his son and wife and then escaped. Well, So now he travels across the domains of Dread, which is a big deal because not many people can do that. Hmm. He's located in Darkon in 5th edition, but in every other edition he has been traveling around the domains of Dread and he's actually uh, taken up uh, shop, essentially, in Barovia. Hmm. Hmm. So, he keeps aloof from everyone else. If you run into him as a player, he is not going to be your friend. He may help you, he may ally with you, but if he likes you, you will die. Right. That's his curse. Now, he does have a protege, like I said before. The lone survivor of his attack on the Vistani who cursed him was a young girl named Esmeralda. She is flavored like Esmeralda from the Disney... Mm-hmm. From, oh, the Disney from, one. From from, Hen, from Hunchback? Yeah. Like, just the, the style, how like uh, her oh, really? hair is and whatnot. It's very similar. Um, but it's uh, spelled with a, with a Z or a Z for our American listeners. But um, but Esmeralda was the only survivor as a young girl, and she grew up just full of hatred and wanting vengeance. And then as she got older, she realized that, you know, there's evil on both sides. Her little sect of, of the Vistani were particularly nasty and, like, sold his son to a vampire. Mm-hmm. So she actually hunted down uh, Rudolf Van Richten to forgive him. She sounds like every party's mm-hmm. rogue. Kind of, but like she approached him for forgiveness. He took her under his wing to train her how to be a monster hunter, and the two of them work together, but he will not get too close to her. So she's the Clay- Kate Blanchett, uh, or no, I got the wrong one. You're just saying random things. Van Helsing. Kate Beckinsale. Oh my god, Dan and Carrie would be so mad at you. Mm-hmm. They have such a thing for her. I just come up in like 10 different episodes, and I, I don't get it. <laughs> Is it the leather pants? Always. I think you had to be a teen boy at the time. I was you a teen were, I guess. Boy. But when hormones were raging, those things just get implanted in your brain. I think. Yeah, man, I was there with them. That's, that's good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> good soup. I, I was more of a Laura Croft guy, so it was. Uh... Anyway, uh, back to Van Richten. <laughs> Let's all talk about sexy celebrities. Sexy Ooh, celebrities. So um, back to Van Richten, who's who's a silver fox. Steve Buscemi. No, silver fox. <laughs> Brad, <laughs> you gotta let me finish. Am I gonna get fired? Yeah. So you're supposed to use a priest stat block for him, which is just a CR two, and that's a big theme in um, Ravenloft. Is you are not supposed to be super powered. These NPCs yeah. are supposed to be aids and helpers. Even the villains are supposed to be overcome, but it's their realm that is corrupted and evil and inescapable. So. Yeah. Um, but the priest stat block gives you an AC of 13 and fewer than 30 hit points. But his intelligence, wisdom, and charisma make for a good advisor and helper NPC. And he gets light, cure wounds, sanctuary, lesser restoration, and dispel magic, among other spells. So that's not a bad place to start. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's interesting, though, is that he runs like a priest and a cleric, but there is no god attached to Yeah, him. that's really so, interesting. Alternatively, you can use Rictavio's stat block from Curse of Strahd, 
who is CR5 and has a much better stat block and spell list that includes all that shit and more, even better up to level 5 spells and so on and so forth. Yeah. As a matter of fact, if you actually look at some of the artwork for Rictavio and you look at um, the fact that uh, where he's located in Barovia, you will find out that all of that lines up with exactly who Van Richten was. Rictavio was published almost as a Van Richten substitute. Because in previous editions, the tower that he lives in is the tower that Van Richten lives in. But Van Richten in 5th edition is still stuck over in um, Darkon, so Barovia gets Rictavio instead. Right. Better name. <laughs> Rictavio this... feels like something that I, I would make up on the fly. What's your guy's name? Rick Tavio. Rick. But two names Rick Tavio. Yeah. Rick DeVio? No. Uh, I'll get there. So um yeah. I I like I like Van Richten a lot. He's a great support character and a wealth of information when look, how do you know you need to use silver against against yeah. lycanthropes, right? Mm-hmm. How do you know that you need radiant damage against a vampire? How do you know all of the weird little quirks of oh, right. vulnerable to this or this the only way to kill them or specters can drain you from Having an NPC that may help you, but you only got one question today, yeah. Yeah. is a really good way of doing that. Van Richten, or at least a parable of Van Richten, sure. should appear in almost every adventure that's horror-themed, or mm-hmm. even just, um, like, not not political intrigue necessarily, but, you know, your adventure, your random table. If you're monster hunting, yeah, absolutely. You gotta go deal with the hag, what do we know about hags? Oh, go ask... Van Rockton over there in the corner, right? Like, they'll be Van Rockton, the Rock, yeah, so. the Dutch version of the Rock. <laughs> Van Rockton, can you smell the time cooking? Now you have it's to probably a Dutch baby. Yeah. Has to be there. Megan, who do you have? Uh, Which human did you get? I get to talk about Volo. I like Volo. Volo's, Me too. Volo's a he's a little scamp. Little scamp. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I mean, I, oof. There's a lot when it comes to Volo. He's been around since, in my mind, the beginning of time. Yeah. Um. So there's a lot that I could really go into. So I'm going to keep it little broad strokes, basically. Sure. And then if we want to go into detail of certain things, we can. Um. But basically, the easiest way to describe him is he's a well-traveled storyteller, writer, artist, pseudo wizard. Yeah. But like the most basic person you'll ever meet in your life. He also has a lot in common with the other two. Like, he'll be found in a bar. Yeah. As a matter of fact, he's found in the Yawning Portal. Yes, in, he is. In um, Waterdeep. Yeah. And he published books, just like Van Richten did. Yes. They probably have the same publisher. He's 100%. so basic, you'll find him drinking a pumpkin spice latte. Oh, well, I wouldn't go Don't that far. Don't get me fucking started. Are we talking anyway. about pumpkin spice right now? God damn it! I will, de- <laughs> I will derail this episode! <laughs> Oh, man. So, as you mentioned, he's been around for fucking ever. He publishes books. (laughs) But I think one of the most interesting things that I find that is constantly written about this guy is that his stories are always exaggerated and usually wrong. It's Adam. (laughs) Hey, I I have never been wrong in my life. Um, What's Volo's full name? Do you have it? Uh, Volothomp Gedarm. 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 Oh, he's French. Um, oh, I think he is French. Yeah. You, you look at the poofs on his... On I his think head. so. The puffy sleeves. Yeah. And like the, the one leg up photo of him. It could have been Italian, but Gedarm is definitely... Uh, Not enough hand French. signals, yeah, I guess. Yeah, But volothomp. <laughs> but essentially you will find him all over the realms, over like the course in history and time. There's a lot of mystery as to how he is as old as he is. There's a lot of times where he was frozen in spells... 
re-brought back. Like, there's just a lot of mystery to this gentleman and how he's existed. Um, and the, fun- the funny thing that I found was that he does technically have an editor. Elmster? Elmster? Elmster. It's technically his editor. So you will find in his books that he'll have footnotes correcting everything that he's done wrong. Oh, that's fantastic. That's fucking hilarious. Oh, so that's Adam. Yeah. So, so yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Sidebar, Elminster. I said at the beginning, Mornkainen is one of the three most powerful wizards. Yeah. Yeah. Elminster is another one that is like right up there. He's one of the three. So powerful. powerful. He's an editor, copyright editor. But yeah. that's why I find it funny. <laughs> he actually works for Wizards of the Coast. Yeah. He has broken the fourth wall for Volo. But he's running around with this stupid human that's barely even a wizard. <laughs> he's writing these dumb books. Like, I feel like that adventure is one that I would like to be on, you know? I would yeah. watch that television program. Yeah. But as we mentioned, currently in fifth edition, you can find him in Waterdeep Dragon Heist. He does have a small stat block in there, but basically you can find him in the taverns bragging about his most recent books um basically just trying to talk himself up he's written as being very pompous and full of himself and like considers himself to be above others mm. just because of how smart he thinks he is which i think is hilarious because uh, probably most of what comes out of his mouth is wrong do, do you have a stat plug in front of you what how smart is he um, so the joys of him is that his stat block is like the most basic thing in the world his intelligence is only a plus two plus two <laughs> that- yes so, since the world's greatest wizard with yeah. the intelligence of two. So, since we're here, I will say that his challenge rating is one quarter. <laughs> so, I love it. I love it. God, he's Xander from Buffy. And he's got an entire book named after. Like, an actual Xander, fifth edition book. He's, he's Andrew from Buffy. Yeah. So, and like, I remember when I was reading about him first, I thought that for being a storyteller who's well traveled, he didn't know a lot of languages. And the reason he doesn't know a lot of languages is because he does have the spell. Comprehend, comprehend languages. languages. Sure. So he doesn't need to learn language. He just But, but I love that too that he doesn't have tongues. He has comprehend languages. Yeah. So does he have tongues? Nope. No. No. Okay. Does not. So, not he, at so he's reading what other people say and then translating speaking it back it, in common. Yeah, and speaking <laughs> it back in common and writing it down. So all of like of course he's wrong half the time. That's yeah. fun. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah, and his only weapon is a dagger. So unguarded. <laughs> <laughs> do, uh, do you think he screams when uh, roll initiative? Volo screams and hides behind the, the bookcase. 100%. Yeah. He just disappears. And you yeah. don't know where he disappeared to. He is disguised self. He turns into a tree. He's out of there. Like, <laughs> he does not fight. Um, so that brings me kind of like how you would use him in a campaign. Obviously, he's not a big, bad, evil guy. Obviously, he's not somebody that you're going to fight. Um, so the most common uses in my mind are going to be like your quest giver, your information gatherer, someone you can use to get information for or uh, I love the idea out. of him hiring you to get him down. You needs to learn something new about a thing. Yeah. Yeah. You are basically his chaperones or his entourage. I, oh my god! I will write a book about you if you yes. get me. <laughs> That's hilarious. He will be your own personal biographer. I will introduce you to my publicist. Yes. Yeah, but I love the idea that you have him as like someone who exists in the world that your party knows of, and the bard is obsessed with him. Oh, absolutely! And really wants to meet him, kind of thing. Oh, so every totally. bar you go to, your bard is looking for this person, and yeah. your wizard too. Weirdly, yeah, I would say I, yeah, yeah, that's true. And then your wizard meets him and realizes this guy's an absolute moron, but your bard's still infatuated. I like the idea that the ranger would corner him and be like, "Look, I I read what you wrote about owl bears, and let me fucking tell you something." <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, I, I I wanted to ask a question. How many kids do you think he has? Volo? Yeah. None. No, all of them. So many kids. You think he actually fin- closes? I don't his really actually close. His dripping in bitches. Yeah, his oh. is dripping <laughs> <laughs> What? Like, 100%. Yeah, right? Like, I, he's like that weird guy that's probably like four foot one. 
hanging out in the corner. <laughs> yeah. He probably is incapable of actually bur- giving children. Oh, he's, like, he's, a, he's impotent? <laughs> yeah, he's either impotent or just shooting blanks. <laughs> My dear, you couldn't handle me, so I, we're not going to do this. We're not going to do this. <laughs> but yeah, I think there's many ways you can use this gentleman. In your, I think it would just be fun to role play as an NPC oh, as a DM. Oh, that's yeah. a blast. Yeah. All right, let's roll. Let's move into round two. Grab your dice again. Okay. Because well, now it. I want to talk about villains. You stole okay. my D twenty die. Yeah. God, you <laughs> at least get it in the trays. I did it. A nice Yay, deal. Okay, I did you're it. going first. I'm going last. All right. So, um, villains. These are the the not the big big bads, but they're the big enough bads. Yeah. And they're going to be major issues in each one of their um, their campaigns, right? So. Uh yeah. So I have Xanathar. <laughs> yeah, that's a big like. That's a big bad. Yeah. Um, they're a beholder. Clearly. That's it. I'm done. <laughs> yeah. There is so much more of a Sorry. <laughs> not a beholder. The beholder. The beholder. Yeah. So he's not necessarily an ordinary beholder, but actually kind of is, but actually kind of is not. So in fifth edition, you will find this ugly, disgusting fucking creature, most famously in Waterdeep's Dragon Heist. Uh, it lives in the dungeons under Skullport. Where he is labeled as a crime lord of slaves and thievery, etc., etc., etc. Yeah, and a collector of fine illegal things, which is why he's the guide to everything as yes. well. Yeah. Exactly. And Skullport is famously where most of those henchmen shall live. Like the ones that worship yeah. and or work under this gentleman mm-hmm. beastling thing um, is where they operate. For those of you that don't know about Skullport, the only reason I know is because Dave's doing Dungeon of the Mad Mage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so he... He rants every week about Kyle and the rest of them. Mm-hmm. That's because he hates playing. his players. He does hate his players. But they were in Skullport for a long time. There's a lot to do. There's a there. lot in Skullport. But yeah. it is essentially a pirate city in the Underdark and a massive underground sea. Yeah. yeah. My first introduction to uh, Skullport was actually through the Lords of Waterdeep board game. They've got an expansion. That makes sense. Oh, it's based all around Skullport, which is very cool. Oh, sidebar, you said we don't know who the Lords of Waterdeep are. I have the Lords of Waterdeep board game. That's true. They are listed in And there. they are listed I'm anyway. now seeing a character in D&D being like, I need to know who the Lords of Waterdeep are. Someone get the board game. That would be yes. a fun little campaign, too. <laughs> no, Absolutely. True. Someone get the board game. Someone get the board game. Good board game, though. Get the book. Um, so there is a little bit of history here with the guild in general. It's usually always run by a beholder of some kind. Yeah. So we never really know if we... What number beholder we're on, basically, but it's basically a rotating a roster of beholders. Mm. Of the beholder. So the OG was, of course, called the Eye. Of course, super naturally. creative. Yeah, uh, and then got murdered and replaced by another beholder and repeat. As beholders are wont to do. Yes, because they need to be the one, the only, uh, the powerful beholder. Uh, so basically, to think of their personality of Xanathar is that it's common paranoid tyrant. So like. It uses its minions to do its business, but never actually trusts its minions. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, So basically uses fear and magic to bully those around into servitude, um, but just is super paranoid of everything that they do. So, And the funny part is, is that it's written that his servants and servitude folks vied for his attention. Like, they fight for it. So they'll, like, kill each other over being this, like, this tyrant's number one. And then and immediately he he's just like, I don't trust you anymore. You're number one. I don't trust you. I'm done. Why are you? Why did you one? fight to get to number one? Yeah. yeah what did you do? <laughs> um, so now my favorite thing about Zenthars is that he's a pet fish. Uh, <laughs> goldfish. Yeah. <laughs> literally a goldfish um, named Silgar. Uh, yeah. Uh, which is basically just a, a quipper is what yeah. they say to use for a stat block for this thing. So yeah. this is like, it's a goldfish yes. basically. And 
it, it Xanathar's makes his servants keep it alive. Mm-hmm. And there's this whole rotating factor of the servants. Anytime it dies, they just replace it with another one. And Xanathar's doesn't know that that's <laughs> Never noticed it. Which I think is a really, really fun anecdote to use. Because like I feel like as an NPC, like a party, you would come across being them trying to find a fish. So yeah. so let me get this straight. Xanathar is dripping in fishes? Dripping in fishes. <laughs> you know your rogue is going to want to steal that fishbowl. Oh, absolutely. Oh my god. But there is it's no- not going to go well. Does the no. fish speak or do anything, or is he just a? It's just a fish. it is a straight up fish. Yeah, again, like they use this, the stat block of a quipper, which is <laughs> okay. negative everything. Yeah, I mean, a, a quipper is a piranha essentially, yeah. right? But yeah, it's just it bites things. That's all. All the official art shows it more like looking like a goldfish. It is a goldfish, I think, yeah. by lore. So clearly, yeah. can only keep it alive. I feel like they have a backlog of fish in a storage area somewhere. <laughs> it's probably a koi pond. <laughs> yeah, and they just keep grabbing new ones every once in a while. Um, but yeah, uh, so when it comes to the stat block, there is nothing necessarily a special stat block for Xanathar's other than using the one of a beholder with the different, right. you know, its eyes and its stalks being its different magical items. Um, however, it does carry three distinctive rings, one of invisibility that it puts on its fear stock, one of mind shielding that it puts on its sleep stock and one of resistance, um, for force damage on its slowing stock. That's really smart. Yeah. I also feel like, okay, so I had an item in one of my homebrew campaigns, which was uh, a circlet Mm -hmm. you would wear that would just let you have an infinite number of, um, attunement slots. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And I traditionally give this to enemies, right? And I have yet to have a... Uh, player character go, oh, they had a lot of magic weapons. I wonder if I can pick this thing up. Right. right. So, yeah. Um, so Take notes, Megan. Take notes. <laughs> um, that's the kind of shit that I would expect Xanathar to have. Like, yeah, if you run absolutely. into him five or six times, you should always have one more ring on one more eye stock yeah. with one more power. Absolutely. Like, should have killed Specific- me when you had the chance. Specifically uh-huh. to negate one of the powers that your party used against you. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, I'm going to figure out how to beat you bitches. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not, that, not that they would always beat a beholder, though. I do like that they are specifically tied to an eye stock. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, what are you going to do? Put him on his fingers? Yeah. But speci- <laughs> no, like, they don't not have fingers. An eye stock, right? <laughs> his eye stocks are dripping t- with riches. <sighs> each one is. How do you think he gets it on this eye stock? Do you think he just like. Uh, he's got he's got a person like, oh, you're my number one. Get it on there. Right, squeeze it on. Good, good, good. Uh, this is embarrassing. I will kill you. Now that you've seen this, you are yeah. dead. Um, yeah. But uh, to be clear, these things are CR 13. Yep, yep. I would. I I hate approaching them. I would not approach them. I hate beholders. I don't like them at all. Why? They ruin li- They ruin lives. <laughs> um. So I always just write, say, no matter what, just don't approach unless you have a fish for it. Fair. Uh, in <laughs> fact, <laughs> no, it's not any fish. It is one specific fish. No, but I feel like you give him a second fish and he would be okay. With it. You think like, you got to you got to pass persuasion check? I feel like like that's that a, good a high ride. check. I'll hear you like quippers. Um, and to be fair like one thing I said that I wish they expanded on is like or I would expand on if I was to be a DM is that I would kind of homebrew a buff or a debuff to whether or not the fish is alive (laughs) (laughs) like it has a rampage capability if the fish is found dead oh Oh, absolutely that is yeah give it a rage absolutely (laughs) I think that would be delightful goes into a barbarian's rage yes yeah just a frenzied beholder 
Um, but I also find that I think a good trope to do for if you were playing this campaign is that you put a beholder that's actually nice to your group of players, basically saying, I would like to be the next XYZ. Can you help me be the next Xanathars? And then you would just have this beholder following you around. Yeah. And you're helping it become the next fucking crime. And you don't even know it's becoming a crime lord. You're just helping it kill this thing that you think hurt its feelings. And then it becomes the next crime lord. I also love the idea of them being paranoid too. Like, can you bring me this person? I want to speak to them. They're going to help me. And they show up and like, Mm, no. no. Death ray. <laughs> <You're> dead. <laughs> yeah, that's Xanathar. Cool. Uh, I guess I was going second. Yes. Mm-hmm. I have the titular Strahd. Say that again. You heard me. <laughs> <laughs> Say it slower. <laughs> the titular Strahd. Okay, go on. Is that better? Yeah. He's actually a very interesting character. I just find he's overrated. I'll leave that there. Sure. <laughs> Uh, look, I'm not going to disagree with you. Yeah. He's a poster boy of 5th edition villains. He is. And I don't think he deserves it. No. Hey, but sexy vampire. Is he? I don't know. I've never <laughs> met him in real life. <laughs> you know, the real stride. <laughs> um, given the fact that you mentioned he is like a title villain of a 5th edition module, he is clearly well-beloved and supported by Wizards of the Coast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's, um, he's the most... And, and, and has the, been. And people fact. love yeah. him. I mean, the fact that we're getting another book set Right? Is a sign that he is obviously well-loved. Yeah. I mean, he's on the cover of a couple of books now. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. Um, he, I didn't realize this. His origins go back as far as first edition. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize he's been around that long. He is so popular that they built an entire campaign setting around him. Ravenloft yes. was the Strahd campaign setting yeah. in previous editions. Right. As far back as second edition. So Yeah, so clearly well-loved. I just don't get it. Um, You're not a vampire guy, though. I am not a vampire guy. I never have been. Okay, what's your favorite monster movie? Trope I don't then? do monster movies. Like, it's not my... Horror is not my genre to begin with. Even monster fighting is not, like, my biggest... Brad and I are exact opposites in real life. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Hmm. But, um... Anyways, so, 5th edition Strahd is obviously well flushed out and supported. Backstory, stat block, tactics... Um, basically, if you want to run Strahd, there's a lot of information to do. So, uh, just in 5th edition alone, should you want more, he's in every edition. Yeah. So you've got a lot, a lot of backstory there. Um, from Curse of Strahd, we know he's obviously a vampire and a wizard, um, and is the Lord of Castle Ravenloft. So in life, Strahd was a fierce warlord who vanquished all of his family's enemies after the death of his father. So he basically took the mantle of the family and basically went on a killing spree, eliminating any enemy that stood in his way. Mm-hmm. He grew tired of peace with his foes because he handled them all easily. And he ended up forming a pact with the Shadowfell in return for immortality. In an attempt to win his mother's affection, because he had a brother who was more loved than he was, he forced all of the wizards and artisans in Barovia to build a castle in his mother's name, which is Castle Ravenloft. Yeah, That is where we get... Well, and Barovia is named after his father. Yes, correct. I've spent some time there. It was a great place. <laughs> um, <laughs> ironically, <laughs> the, 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 the safety. Yeah, was the safety officer. Uh, safety. Oh, what was his name? Doug. 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 Safety officer oh, Doug. Good Jesus. times. You didn't kill him, though, right? I cannot confirm nor deny. Right. <laughs> um, so, ironically, on her way to the castle after it had been completed, she was about to move in. She died en route. Um, Strahd himself was in such grief that he had her body sealed in a crypt below the castle. Following the death of his mother, he sought out the love of a beautiful woman from a respectable family named Titania. He poured out gifts upon her in attempts to wound her heart. However, she preferred, again, his younger brother, Sergei. 
So he was always in the shadow of his brother, despite it's all funny of you say Titania. Uh, it's Tatiana. It's every time I've heard it. It's oh, really? Tatiana. Yeah. Tatiana. Oh, yeah. I guess so. Looking at the spelling, I suppose it could be Titania. Tatiana. Yeah. Titania. Look, it's it's a Eastern European flavor. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, so Strahd is always, despite being this amazing warlord, man of might and power, he was always in his brother's foot's shadow, basically. Yeah. Younger brother on top of that. As an older brother, I get that. Um, on the day that Titania and Sergei were to be wed, Strahd murdered his brother and drank his blood. This was what finalized his pact with the Shadowfell for immortality. In his madness, after killing his brother, right, gaining immortality, the pact of the Shadowfell becoming complete, he went mad and chased Titania to try and convince her to marry him instead. This, of course, did not go well, and she decided that death was a better fate and threw herself to her own death from the castle walls. Strahd's own guards at that point, realizing what had happened, attempted to kill him. However, the fact that he had fulfilled the pact of immortality with the Shadowfell, he turned his guards inside out and killed them all, taking his full vampire form at that point. Mm. This is the action that caused Brovia to be plunged into a demiplane, which is the setting for Curse of Strahd. So, funny story goes. Barovia being founded is actually considered year one in the Ravenloft campaign setting. Okay. Even though Barovia was technically founded before it descended into the Shadowfell. Right. It is also, every one of the demiplanes, it's year, I want to say, 71. Okay. Or 371. I can't remember what the years, But they all take place in the same year. And that timeline is based upon when Barovia was founded. Okay. And Strahd is considered to be the original vampire. Right. Um, so before all of the vampires existed, so the Shadowfell is behind vampirism, right? Not Orcus or any of the other undead mm. shit as well. So this is like this is big deal that this is that this is here and happening, and it um, became kind of the model for the dark powers in Ravenloft, like the setting Ravenloft, right? Um, to start using all of these uh, prisons for other arch villains and whatnot that are like Strahden in certain ways. So. Mm. Interesting. Well, thanks for that history. Very much fun story. Um, (laughs) So we'll take a quick dive into the stat block. Um, So standouts, obviously he's a CR of 15. That's... Plays like an 11, but okay, go nuts. (laughs) How dare you? Talk about my husband this way. (laughs) Again, exceptional stats across the board. uh, Unsurprisingly, at level 15. The one standout maybe being wisdom is lower. It's still better than most of your players will have, but... Mm -hmm. Um, he is able to shape change between his vampire form, bat form, wolf form, and a cloud of mist. Wolf form was an interesting one that I didn't realize well, that he had. That's traditional yeah. Dracula shit, right? So yeah, I guess so. Again, I was say, not my but I'm like, that's the wrong noise. No. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> um. So the last form I mentioned, the cloud of mist, happens in the event that he's brought to zero HP. So instead of falling unconscious, he gets turned into mist. And he can basically escape. Poof. Right, his chance to escape back to his crypt and regenerate. Yeah. Yeah, he goes back to his coffin and then, there you go. And then if you don't get him in time, boom, he's back. Yeah. The next day. Good man. So, um, in this form, he has about two hours to find the coffin, otherwise he is destroyed. So if you can somehow lure him out far enough that the mist can't get there that quickly. Unfortunately, you will never do that in Barovia. You've got to get him outside of Barovia, which is actually impossible, so. Yeah, he can't leave. Um, smart man. So, well, he, that's not his doing. Yeah. Smart man. <laughs> You're going to have a hard time holding back a mist to get back. So he's likely to get there. Um, 
he is also a ninth level spellcaster. Uh, big standout spells being scrying, polymorph, and non-detection. This is why he's always got a one-up on your party. Correct. He's always. I, I've never seen him cast these things, but I like. Oh, I was there. I was in Raven form when you were doing this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He wasn't right there, but he was there. Yeah. Um, as far as his attacks goes, he has a bite attack in his vampire or bat form, and that returns damage done to himself as healing. Sure, he regenerates. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the attack can only be performed on a restrained or unconscious victim, though. Mm-hmm. So note that you can't just use a bite attack as a standard attack. You have They have to be restrained or unconscious. Hmm. Yep. Um, the damage done also reduces the hit point maximum of the victim. And should it be done to zero, obviously they can be buried and revive as a vampire spawn. Yeah, that's standard vampire yeah, shit. So, yeah, so yeah. it's all part of the vampire block. Um, and then again, he's got his legendary actions, which he can move, make unarmed attacks, or bite attacks. Mm-hmm. Which, for legendary actions, are yeah, underwhelming. He doesn't need much more. He no. regenerates naturally, he does, right? And yeah. then on top of that, he's got the drink blood, lower your maximum hit points. Yeah. I can I fuck off whenever I want, and I always know what you're doing. Yeah. Right? Like, this is what Jeff said. Legendary like, actions would still be... I would still prefer something a little more interesting for legendary actions. Legendary actions in 5th edition seem to be based on the idea of something quick that you can do yeah. between other people's turns. Yeah. yeah. Right? So... That's why a lot of the time you see moving as part of, a, mm-hmm. like, this is one legendary action is you can move. Yeah. Right? Because you don't get a full turn in between. So something simple and to the point is usually what we get. Yeah. Um, cantrip level based spells, maybe even level one or two, depending on the level of the monster. So, I mean, it stacks. I just yeah, don't care. It's just, no. It's uninteresting. Um, as far as using him in homebrew, Strahd to me is so iconic of a character that I would hesitate to use him in a homebrew. If you're never if gonna you're, play if you're going Curse to, of But if you're gonna play a campaign that has a powerful enough vampire, why are you not playing Curse of Strahd? Yeah. Like why are you or why are you not, even in a homebrew, sending your players to the equivalency of Barovia if you really want to get that as part of your adventure? Yeah, look, I can make arguments. I can say, well, maybe this or maybe that. Yeah. But uh, largely, I think that you're right. If you're doing vampires, do Strahd. Yeah. And most people do. Yeah, they yeah. really do. There's a reason it sold as many books as it has. And When we actually get into a proper Strahd episode, because I'm sure that will happen at some point. At some point. Mm-hmm. We will get Megan and Terry, who has DM'd Strahd. Mm-hmm. Or maybe Jeff, who has DM'd Strahd. And Pepperina, who has literally banged Strahd to death. <laughs> that bitch. <laughs> so <laughs> for penis size. Yeah. Um, so, uh, speaking of undead, I got the other major villain, Acerarach, the Devourer, Lord of Unlife, and Acerarach of the Scarlet Robes. He is an arch lich in the Tomb of Annihilation in 5th edition, but he is also the central bad guy in the reason for the Tomb of Horrors, Mm -hmm. which is, if you know anything about D&D adventures, the Tomb of Horrors is the fuck you forever trying to play D&D adventure. It is meant to grind up and spit out players. Your character is going to die in the Tomb of Horrors, and it is designed to be that way. The majority of it is save or die. You are basically playing characters that you know are going to throw away. You don't bother with the backstory. You don't bother with anything else. You're playing... This is for your min-maxers and your number crunchers. When your DM says, oh, you stumble upon a giant tomb in the middle of the jungle, and it is... A tomb of horror. You will have two kinds of players. Oh, I've heard of that. And, ah, oh, fuck, I heard of that. Yeah. Right? And so listen to the second group and mm-hmm. don't go don't in. Don't go in. So um, Acerarach is 
built to be super powered. Yeah. Um, and it is done on purpose, although they redid the whole thing. So Tomb of Horrors is the final adventure in the Tales from the Yawning Portal. Yes. And it is a throwback to previous editions, and it is just as deadly as you remember. Mm -hmm. But then it's so popular that they made the Tomb of Annihilation, which is essentially a jungle hex crawl for the majority of the adventure until you find the actual Tomb of Annihilation, which is just a rebuilt Tomb of Horrors, which is not quite as deadly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking to play it without killing off everybody, grab the one from Tomb of Annihilation, yeah. you'll, you'll get further. A Sererak is in both of them. Yeah. Right. So by canon, the other one doesn't, like the Tomb of Horrors from Tales from the Yawning Portal, yes. doesn't technically count. No. That is not canonical in 5th edition. So... Acerarak himself is the descendant of a human and a Baylor demon, which makes him actually a Cambion, despite the fact that most lore calls him a tiefling, and in previous editions, you've actually seen him as a child in artwork stuff, little horns and stuff, mm -hmm. even though he doesn't have horns now. So tieflings are um, when devils and humans, correct, right, um, and Cambions are, are demons, demons and humans. Right. Right. So, um, so thanks, 5th edition, for making that more confusing <laughs> he is sometimes a demi lich which when he's in that form he is a floating skull with rubies for eyes and diamonds for teeth and is worth a ton of money if you can get those but most of the time he's a skeletal figure in a crown uh that's wearing like king's robes and a crown he's the guy on the cover of not just tomb of annihilation but also the dungeon master's guide that's yeah. him mm -hmm. so look he is known to be brilliant and arrogant and contemptuous and devious but he is ambitious above all and in he's ambitious enough that he wants to rule the entire multiverse the same way as most of the big evil gods and stuff so he's um he has actually set up face or uh, fake acerorax all around in fake temples I love that. to That's get people brilliant. to go off and do the wrong thing and probably die and never find him. Amazing. Yep. He also, he's a lich. He has a phylactery and it's a secret, even from the gods. Nobody knows, not even your dungeon master. And if he says he knows, he's lying. Or, he or made making it up. It up. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but I mean, this guy, he kicks ass. He's got ninth level spells. He's got power word kill, time stop. He has access to mind blank, finger of death, disintegrate, hold monster, and a fuck ton more, including counterspell. Yeah. Counterspell your healer. Yeah. He is less an NPC and more of a force of nature to be reckoned with. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A force of undeath. And that's the whole shtick in Tomb of Annihilation is people can't come back from the dead. Mm -hmm. This is an issue. Sararak is, is behind the whole thing. Yeah. So. so I don't know, man. I don't I don't think that I would use him outside of the Tomb of Horrors. If I need a super big awesome lich. I'm going to use a Lich stat block and build my own. Yep. Yeah. So Absolutely. This one's very specific. It really is. Yeah. In the same way as, I'm, I mean, Vecna. You don't just... Yeah. If you're fighting Vecna, you fight Vecna, Vecna doing a Vecna yeah. thing, right? Yeah. Like, so, and there we you go. You don't pull it out for any reason. Uh, I'm sure that Vecna would pull it out for any reason. Well, you know, magical swords and all that. Yeah. Dripping. <laughs> dripping. Just, just dripping. <laughs> <laughs> oh. what? Well, if you want more information, more conversations like this, you can find us on our Instagram, Facebook, or on Reddit at r slash it's a mimic. Uh, always feel free to reach out to us by email at info at it's a mimic dot com because we are always taking mailbag questions for the next mailbag episode. 
So if you got a question for us, post it on Reddit, post it on our social media, or send us an email for the mailbag episodes. I also, just sidebar, I'm a glutton for punishment and a bit of a masochist, apparently, because I go through all of our YouTube comments as well to find questions. <laughs> oh, and boy. It is a, most of you are wonderful and fantastic, but a lot of you yell at me. So Good call. Keep yelling. Well, we do, too. What? Well, yes, and, and this is why I'm in control of your paychecks. Um, speaking of, speaking of. <laughs> I am in control of them. You haven't earned them yet. <laughs> anyway, super villains. Moving on, of, super yes, villains. villains. Uh, the first one that I rolled here is Adam. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Let's <laughs> grab our dice and grab some dice and roll. <gasps> 12. I did it again. I'm 17. last. This All right, okay, I'm going second. So, who do you got? Halster Blackcoat. Black Black Cloak. Black, black Cloak. Yeah, not, not <laughs> say that ten coat. times fast. Starcoat? Not Starcoat. Star black Cloak. So there's a lot of just uh, like robes. And dripping shit. in yeah. robes. Um, so we have talked about him a little bit like here and there because I do feel like he is in part of some other people's history. But basically he's also known as the Mad Mage of the Undermountain. So as per the Waterdeep Dungeon of the Mad Mage. So obviously yes. that's one of the more recent ones to play through. Um it's, it's a lot of madness. I'd say the easiest way to describe this gent is basically in his name. He's a mad mage who wears a black cloak. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Not a uh, uh, He is basically known for being a great and powerful wizard who giggles and talks to himself. <laughs> <laughs> it's Adam. <laughs> yeah. Hence the appearing to have gone mad. He is most well known for his fifth edition as making a home in what I would call a labyrinth of the Undermountain. Oh, to put it lightly. To put it lightly. Yeah, I'm not joking. It is an actual labyrinth as he does take great joy in shifting and altering the paths, not only to allow the monsters to move freely and to utilize them to the best of his capabilities, but also to confuse and torture anyone who dares to enter basically his home. Yeah. Sidebar, do you guys know the difference between a maze and a labyrinth? Labyrinths shift. No, mazes can shift. Hmm. From a maze, you go from an entrance to an exit. A labyrinth, you go from an entrance uh, to the center, center. Right. To, the, to the entrance again. Yeah. Hmm. So that sounds very familiar, actually. Um, also, David Bowie doesn't hang out in mazes. Oh, God. <laughs> David Bowie. This is the second reference in the last little while we've had for David Bowie, and I'm happy about it. Um, but yeah, he's so tied to his home to the point where at one point in his history, he was actually captured and removed from it. And it actually exploded and almost destroyed the world because all of the creatures of the maze ended up leaving. And oh, then the, oh, the, oh, the Yoni portal. So yes. basically the Lords of Waterdeep said, oh, fuck shit. And they went and actually <laughs> saved the man and brought him back and said, can you fix this? So that's how tied he is to the Undermountain. Like it's almost like yes. he has to be there for the balance of the fact that he created this thing and now he needs to keep it under control or else. We did a huge deep dive into him yeah. in our Waterdeep episode too. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nope. I love it. Um, and then the other pieces, of course, in his stat block, he does have layer actions to prove the fact that he has control over his layer. Yeah. So if you want to master of his own domain. Exactly. Right. And also most of his magical traits do are specific to creating gates and basically building walls. Like his spells just kind of reflect that as well. So his stat block is quite built for this. Um, he also uses those gates to travel to other places to gain more knowledge. So he is a little bit of a traveler. So it's one of those things where you could potentially see him pop up in other places. Yes, he is very hyper-focused to being in the Undermountain, but I feel like he would leave to seek out knowledge if he needed it. Bring in some new monsters for the... Yeah, he needs, yeah, he needs new labyrinth. beasties, right? Yeah. 
Um, so, and of course, he always has, like, spells like Disguise Self and Confuse to confuse his enemies. Like, he just... The other thing that's really interesting about him is nobody knows if he's alive or dead. Mm-hmm. Because he was a human at one point, and he has been there for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. And they people keep running into his ghosts, but nobody knows if it's a ghost or, or a psychic projection. Or, yeah. Right? He so. uses clone a lot yeah. as well. Yeah. But yeah, basically, like, in speaking to that, he he does look like your classic old wizard. He's wrinkly, he's old, he's aged, um, except the not old... Not a silver fox? Not a silver fox. I would no. not call this one of those. Um, but he does have the magic to our point to take any form that he wants to kind of, like, look different or appear less, like, you know, just be secretive. I would but always the, give him crazy eyes, though, no matter what form. Oh, well, Gary the, Busey eyes. Yeah, right, yeah. Right. yeah. The common denominator is no matter what shape he takes, he will always be giggle and maddening ramblings. Like, he will always have that trait. It's written in his stat block that no matter what shape he is in, he is still mad. Right, this is so. a this is a great rug pull in Curse of Strahd. Mm. If your players have run up against Halister in the past... And they run into the mad mage of, of yes. Baratok there. Mm-hmm. And then it turns out that it's Morgan. It's more kind of not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, he keep hearing stories of this mad mage and yeah. surprise, not him. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, don't be fooled. He is sharp as attack. He will be able to attack you if he needs to defend himself. He is a CR 23. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. He feels to me like uh, Walter Bishop from uh, Fringe, if anybody's seen that, who is ju- like a yeah. super yeah. genius, but... Totally talks just, to himself. Yeah. <laughs> just way yeah. up there. Yeah, I would describe him as the guy that kind of plays a lot of chess and kind of knows what move you're going to do next before mm-hmm. you know that you're going to do it. Um, it's even built into his stat block in the sense where he wears a robe of eyes that see in all directions. Like, he just knows all and everything. Is that the black area. cloak? Is that might be the black cloak that he wears, yes. Uh, <laughs> he is also resilient. Uh, if he dies within the mountains themselves, he does rejuvenate. So, to our point, he's either living forever or he is some kind of a clone or magic projection or something yeah yeah so i mean if you're going to team up against this person you knew that like your tactic would be get him to leave the mountain but i really don't think there's any reason he would unless you lured him out like with a with some kind of creature that he really wants it's the only thing i could think of to get him out of there if you could bring something back from another plane of existence we know where the tarask is come with us yeah yeah right um so the only thing I would like to see more in this that I didn't quite see is a little bit more about the insanity piece of it. Because a lot of his spells are trickery in the sense of how he looks, how he feels, and how he presents himself. But I want to see more of like an insanity stat block or spells tied to the madness. Mm-hmm. So he does have things like he has mind blank and maze, but that's about it. But I feel like I would want to tap into more of like the haunting side of it. Like an insanity check for his laughter in the halls, like yeah. that kind of stuff. Um, like anytime the maze changes and your group... It's like, oh, fuck. You just hear this bellow of laughter through the layer kind well, of thing. One of the things that annoys me is that minotaurs instinctively know their way through mazes and shit. So yeah. if you've got a player who it, is a minotaur, who's a minotaur I, I would just tell them, hey, we're doing Dungeon to the Mad Mage. You can be whatever you want, not a minotaur. Yeah. Yeah, I could see, though, even to the level of fuckery that he has... That even a minotaur would not be able to necessarily. Figure. I know, but but look, the only person that is going to choose to play a minotaur in Dungeons of the Mad Mage, the person that's trying to outsmart the DM, and so you tell them up front, like, yes, yes don't do this. Dan, you might have a Dan, slight. You can't do it. Maybe they'll give you an advantage <laughs> on trying to find something, but you're not going to know it automatically. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Cool. I I, I, like, I like him. I also like the fact that he would fucking raffle stomp a Sararak or Oh, absolutely. 100%. Like he he just sounds like a crazy old man, but there's some real, real scary 
aspects to this yeah so yeah no i would not yeah he's he's got legendary actions he's got he's got a scepter i looked at running this campaign for some players and realized just how well keep in mind this is this is a level 20 campaign this is a so this this follows dragon heist right so you do dragon heist up to six i think and then five yeah and then five to 20 all the way to 20 is mad mage yeah dave did um lost minds of fandalver Mm -hmm. and then he dove in with relatively new to fifth ed players and he turned to me not long ago and said this was a mistake. I should never have done this. We will be playing this for literal years. Yes. Mm-hmm. And not even exploring half of the map. No. This is a mega dungeon. Yeah. So. Yes, it is. Absolutely. And slight spoiler warning. One of the first things you run into in that campaign are intellect devourers. Oh, like, yeah. It, it's you're going to kill players. It's a player killer. Uh, he's lost characters already. Yeah. He's, they're level eight, seven, something like yeah. that. Yeah. So. Um, have you guys noticed that most of the bad guys are secluded from each other? Yes. yes. Right? Like Barovia, Tomb of Annihilation, like you go, you're into the tomb and then... Yeah. Everyone kind of cuts them. themselves off or is cut off. Yeah. You know who I isn't? So. The Elemental Evils. Ooh, from, nice transition. Yeah. From Princes of the Apocalypse. So, there are four of these guys based on the elements, the fire, earth, wind, and water. So, um, let me go through kind of in general before I bust out the stats for each one of them specifically these guys are all ancient primordial evil and jealous of living mortals they hate every living being and the way that nature restricts their element Mm. they want to live in a plane like the plane of fire but they want it on the material plane and all other planes Mm -hmm. each one of these guys is unique they are all very different from each other and it's not like other elementals where a fire elemental is a fire elemental or a method is a method, a myrmidon is a myrmidon. These guys are not. There is one and one only. They all have a name and they are the evil ancient elders that um, it's interesting. They're about on par with the gargantuan elementals from um, from Mordenkind's Tome of Foes that we covered in an episode. Mm-hmm. But these guys are huge sized. And uh, and they're far more malevolent. Mm-hmm. They not only hate mortals, but they have a special hatred for those who try to control elemental forces. Um, they're not going to be particularly loved in Eberron, I'll tell you that much. Yeah. But their MO is to create natural disasters at every opportunity and crush or devour mortals and the mortal plane. Mm-hmm. These guys are about pure destruction. They don't cooperate with each other, and they hate the other princes. They are bound by a mysterious force as well called the Elder Elemental Eye. No one's sure what it does or why it's there, but where one prince of evil, of elemental evil goes, the others soon follow. If one suddenly becomes super powerful mm-hmm. and gains dominion, the others will then show up and become more mm-hmm. powerful as well. So they're all tied to each other. Even the cults for them end up appearing in relatively the same area. Hmm. If a cult of fire shows up in, you know, the village, there'll be a cult of wind and a cult of water and a cult of earth as well. Interesting. Hmm. The princes usually, through their cults and followers, try to establish elemental nodes. Uh, what an elemental node is, is a place of raw elemental power. Think deep in a volcano or right. under under an ocean, right? Super villains. So, yeah, so yeah, they're layers of super villains, yeah. right? So once they establish a foothold here, the element then tends to spread like a cancer throughout the natural world mm. until it either gets vanquished by mortal forces or it bumps up against the swelling power from another, another one of these 
you know, elemental, elemental evil. evil. So the cultists don't worship traditionally. Cultists try to harness the will of their chosen prince by borrowing their elemental power and using it for destructive purposes in the prince's name. Mm. For many, servitude is a means to an evil end uh, and a destructive outcome. So I really wish that the that the orphanage down there would burn down. Like it's like that's, that's my that's my evil thing to do. So I'm going to make a deal with the fire elemental right. evil. So he's going to lend me a little bit of power. I'm going to burn the whole village down, but the orphanage goes with it. So yay, I'm a cultist, right? So that's congratulations. So speaking of fire, uh, Imix is the prince of evil fire. He's also known as the all-consuming fire and the eternal flame. Mm. This guy's CR 19. He's got a fire aura, fire spells, legendary actions based on fire. There's a theme here. I don't know yeah. if you picked it up. So um, he rarely speaks, but often cackles with laughter as he burns everything. So That's on brand. So James. Um, he <laughs> loves to burn mortals alive and is highly destructive. So James. And he's highly unpredictable. So James. So like, <laughs> I, I, I like... That you cannot commune with him. He is just out there to rage and burn and destroy. Like James. Just like James. <laughs> uh, then there's uh, Ogramok, who is the Prince of Evil Earth. He's also known as the Tyrant of Black Earth and the Mountain of Doom. Mount He's, Doom. Well, no, he is the Mountain of Doom. He is a huge, like, 20-foot-tall creature that is just made out of Earth. Stomping around. You play the beginning of um, God of War 3, mm -hmm. where you're climbing up the, the, titans. the Titans and shit. Yep. He's like that to a, to a slightly lesser degree. You'd only be climbing for about a couple of minutes. Okay. So um, he's CR 20. He's got slam attacks, earth-based spells, and just a fucking mountain of hit points. Nah. He uh. deems all metals, stone, and gems to be his and wants to subjugate those who he can't crush. He destroys every mine he can find, and he hates dwarves. And if you have... Work to the metal or cut the gems, that's an affront to him. Mm -hmm. Right. So, uh, if he cannot kill you, he will just outlast you. Mm. And that's his deal. Smart. Um, Olhydra is the princess of evil water, who's also known as the crushing wave, the well of endless anguish. She's a CR 18. She's got water and ice spells, and she's particularly nasty because she can occupy your space and then turn her watery form into acid. Ouch. Dope. Yeah. And she's huge size too. So like you're in yeah. the middle of like a big swelling. And that's the thing about each one of them. They look like a like a tower essentially of their element. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Um, she can surge onto land but never strays too far from water. And she's relentless and controls weather and floods. She's the only one who is actually going to tolerate mortals of any kind because she actually believes in her heart that whether or not they know it, Aquatic evil creatures and pirates are manifestations of her own hatred. And she supports the suffering they bring to the world. Oh. Interesting. I like that about her. And the last one is Yancy Bin, who is the prince of evil air, also known as the shadow of the four winds and the howling hatred. Use one of those names. Yancy Bin is terrible. Right? Like, what an awful name. It's, it's not even Yancy. I thought it was yeah. Yancy. No, Yan-C-Bin. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, he's... CR 18, air and lightning spells, yada, yada, yada. But he's usually in the, in the shape of a vortex, but he can actually, he's the only one that can take the form of a medium humanoid. Mm. And he can do this for an hour at a time. He has a legendary action that can steal the breath out of your lungs, forcing a mechanic that makes you succeed 
on a DC 21 con save or drop to zero hit points and start making death saves. Ah, DC 21, no problem. Um, he is the wisest and the smartest and he spies on his enemies and he often sits above in the clouds looking down at the mortal world um, or becoming a human to walk amongst people to um, figure out what they're up to before he strikes. Hmm. So while he does not have the most power, he's a real fucking issue. Hmm. And he kills you by stealing your breath. You'll never know he's doing it. Brutal. Take my breath. He's like away. asthma. <laughs> yeah. Much like Strahd, he will take your breath away. <laughs> oh, Strahd. So, so I, 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 these guys, to me, you're not going to converse with them. I like no. Yancey Bin, actually, as maybe an NPC to deal with. Yeah, possibly. If you're in an evil campaign, you could end up actually talking with Ohydra as well. Sure. Um, especially an evil pirate campaign, for yeah. example. Yeah. But, I mean... Forces of of the of natural natural elements. yeah, you're here to fight them. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I'm, these guys are from Princes of the Apocalypse, the Adventure Path. Yeah. So, as interesting as they are, if they're summoned, it doesn't go up to level eighteen. Right. If one of these guys is summoned, you're fucked. If they're yep. all summoned, you're quadruple fucked. The world's <laughs> done. Yeah. So, it, in that one, you are literally at the um, Temple of Elemental Evil, right? Yeah. And so. The cultists are what you're battling to stop these guys from rising. But they gave them stat blocks, so they're kind of expecting that you will fight them eventually. At some yeah. point, yeah. Which seems scary to me. Yeah, so um, I like them. I would totally drop them in a homebrew high-level campaign sure. as something to deal with. But I was looking at their stat blocks, and while they do have some powerful things, you got the action economy on your side. Yeah, Your players can probably take them on at level 16 or 17. Yeah. Sure. I mean, assuming they're not surrounded by their own cultists as well. Yeah. Who they will probably try to actively destroy. <laughs> so. <laughs> well, no, they tolerate their cultists. Some of them do. No, they all tolerate their cultists because their cultists are there to, for means to the, to the owner. Right. But you're just like the last human I'm going to kill. Yeah. You right, will be so. dead eventually. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to discuss uh, Zariel or Zariel, depending on your. I've only ever heard Zariel, but I like Zariel. Um, so Zariel, she is the ruler of Avernus. If you play Descent into Avernus, you will inevitably run into her. Mm. Um, Avernus is, we know, is the first level of the Nine Hells. We've gone into this in past episodes, so I'm not going to dwell on We've talked about Zariel quite a bit. And we have, yeah. Um, so I'm not going to spend too much time here, but we're going to zip through it. So Zariel is a, or Zariel, is a fallen angel who's charged with watching over the Blood War. But she ended up being overcome by the corruption of the realms of hell. So, fallen angel. Mm. Yeah. Right? Here, go watch this war. Oh, look, it overtook you. Now you're one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, she has taken the helm of control in Avernus from Bell in order to be more effective in her control and marshalling the forces of Avernus. Yeah. She basically walked in, said, you're doing this wrong. Let me do it. And out goes Bell. In comes Avernus, or Zariel. And now she's running it. Um... Avernus is basically the front line of the Blood War and is so important that the forces of the mortal realm are constantly bashing against the foes of the Hells. Zariel is often looking for adventurers from the mortal realm to basically bolster her forces. To say, hey, stop fighting against us, come fight for us sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Find basically very powerful adventurers that she can turn and use for her own ends and her own means. Yeah. Um, she will even go as far as to give them boons. Help them become more powerful, give them magical artifacts, things that they need in order to better assist her in her war, in the blood war. Yeah. 
Um, if we get some physical descriptions of her, you can actually see her right on the cover of Descent into Avernus. Yeah. Um, but uh, she describes having a halo of fire on her head with leathery wings singed by the fire. She's also lost a hand, which has been replaced by a flail, which is badass. It's pretty dope. Yeah. And it's it's a scary flail. It's super scary flail. I just, like, it is looked not at my a hand flail. like I'm like this is not good enough. No, <laughs> I mean if you had an option, would you replace? What would you? Re- Never mind. I don't want to. Yes, you don't no, want to I don't stop want to it. Answer. Moving on. It'll All right, be, it'll be dripping in bitches. Though. Zara, <laughs> this guy this is gonna be the tagline. Maybe we should retitle this episode. Yeah, dripping right. in bitches. <laughs> um, so Zariel has a CR of twenty six. Yeah, that's. Nearly as high as we go for CRs. It's pretty much. It's way up. It's there. way up there. Um, all of her weapon attacks deal an extra eight d8 fire damage. Oof. Every single weapon attack. Hate it. She has an eight spell casting, with the most impressive spell being Finger of Death. Uh, she has magical warhammer named Metolotok, which deals both fire and cold damage. And she can also touch a foe with Horrid Touch, which deals extra necrotic Sorry. damage. Horrid touch? Horrid touch. Okay. Horrid. Horrid touch. Horrid touch? Yeah. Porridge touch? Stop. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it deals necrotic damage and causes blindness and deafness. As a legendary action, she can cast Immolating Gaze, which will cause a target she can see to combust, taking fire damage. While Zariel is a setting-specific archdevil, you could easily place her in any homebrew. Yeah, but mm. she's she's a fallen angel. You've got to have a reason for Absolutely. her to be but I think most campaigns, most homebrews are going to have some form of fallen angel, some form of the heavens and hells, and hell war between hells, them war between them. Yeah. Their own version of the blood war is going to exist in most homebrew I've settings. I've never heard of that in a even, homebrew campaign. Never, even, never once. Not that's because you haven't gotten into it. But I'm pretty sure any home, most DMs have at least. I'm just being considered facetious, oh, looking yeah, right no, at Adam. Yeah, <laughs> Megan has run into fallen angels more than once. Yeah, so. she usually is the fallen angel, isn't she? Uh, in this upcoming campaign, Megan's last character is a fallen. Hero. Is it a paladin? She, well, of course. Oh, what Megan plays. <laughs> what I do. <laughs> How I roll. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think really interesting character. A lot of depth. We've gone into the history of Zariel before. Look, we just, we just spent a lot of time on Zariel as well um, on our Halloween episode. Yeah. So, yeah. So, Very cool character, though. Yeah. Very impressive. And chances are, if you see her, there's a good chance your DM's going to use her trying to recruit your adventurers to her cause. Mm-hmm. Or she'll just kill you outright. Or she, or you're dead. It's one or the other. The good thing about Zariel... You piss off your DM and he wants to end the campaign, or... The, yeah, but the good thing about Zariel is if you are not in Avernus or dealing with the Blood War, you don't yeah. have to worry about it. No. Same way that you don't have to worry about Strahd if you're not in Barovia. That's right. You do have to worry worry about the elemental evils or... Wherever you can be. Yeah. 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 True, true. Cool. So, right. let's scale up one last time and hit the god level. Um, enemies, I guess. Because we don't have a lot of information about the good guys at God tier in uh, in 5th edition. There's some, but there's not a lot. So let's grab dice one last time and we'll rifle through these relatively quickly. 14. 12. Oh, I'm going oh, first. You're going first, Adam. Alright, so I'm going to go with an actual god, a lesser god. You can actually check the DMG to find out what lesser god means. I do break that down, but I'm going to talk about Oriel. The Cold Goddess, the Frost Maiden, Ice Dawn, Lady Ice Kiss, the Brittle Maiden, and the Queen of Air and Darkness. Okay, Khaleesi, settle it down. Right? She is vain, (laughs) fickle, and evil, and rules in Arctic locations with fear. 
There are many churches and temples to her, and she has a pretty strong cult following in previous editions. There's not so much a big cult presence in the 5th edition um, material, but it's definitely there to some degree. She used to be a fey princess called Oreolander, the Frost Sprite Queen. Her sister was Titania, and she was once bathing in pure waters by the Seelie Court when a group of dwarven miners brought a gift to the Fae. It was a gem from the Underdark, and they had uncovered it, and they wanted to gift it because it was supposed to be a, an artifact of great evil, a black gem that creates gods. She saw it, she held it, and she was immediately corrupted by it. And then she tried to take over the Seelie Court, but they... Stopped her and booted her sorry ass into the material plane, never to return to the Feywild. So, now she lives outside Icewind Dale in a weakened state. When you run into her, that's not the real her. This is aspects and avatars of mm -hmm. her. Yeah. She has three forms. And all three forms have to be defeated in order for her to truly die on the material plane. But again, that doesn't really kill, kill her. her. She's still a god. Yeah. It just removes her... Her presence from influence the essentially realm. yeah so the first form is a seven foot tall hunched creature with a horned head of a snowy owl it's on the cover of the book icewind dale rhyme of the frost maiden and spoiler alert she's the frost maiden so she's a bad guy her second form is 10 feet tall and looks like a woman carved from ice with blades of ice protruding from her body and her third and final form is called winter's womb or the queen of frozen tears it's an ice diamond uh, about three feet in diameter. It floats, and her voice emanates from it, and it has an aura of cold damage that it does. Her first form is deadly enough, the owl creature thing, with a cold touch attack and the ability to cast ice storm and control weather, but it's only a CR 9. At CR 10, her second form is far deadlier, as this form has the deadlier physical attacks, can summon ice methods, and can imprison foes in an icy prison as an action. Mm. Yes, she has lair actions. Yeah. So. Yeah. But her third form is CR 11 and is mostly defensive. It can blind or hurt you with the blizzard effect or cold aura, but it's largely innate and essentially wants to be left alone to regenerate. Right. So as powerful as she is as a god, you don't see the real god powers right. out of her. Um, it's the environment that's going to fuck you up. Yep. It's the minions and the ice creatures that are going to fuck you up. Yep. It's not Oriel. She's mad. And there's a reason, a rhyme and reason for the Frostman, oh. um, which is what the entire adventure is about, figuring out why she's pissed and, and what you can do about it. And then you got to fight her. But that's not even the end of the adventure because it goes up even higher than, than that level. Yeah. And you only defeat her like 80% of the way through the adventure. There's more shit to do and it gets worse. Oh, good. So I like Oriel. She's a really good fae presence if you look at it from mm -hmm. what what is the what's Elsa right right um, in the Forgotten Realms. If you were to, to D and D uh, a Ice Queen of the, I mean shit, we may get that in, in Wild Beyond the Witchlight. Like I say, it hasn't come out yet, uh, so we yeah, don't know. We'll find yeah. out. But um, we need more fae wild stuff. This is a good kind of um, if you take the if you strip the evil off of her sure you've got some good ice queen level of things here absolutely I mean you can look at her whole history too right we got a yeah. little bit of backstory there go to other supplements mm -hmm. so like I, I like her well enough 
Um, she's clearly meant for the Arctic and the Arctic. Oh, 100%. Only. Yeah. Um, and I would have it, honestly, I'm not going to port her over unless I've got a specific reason, but she's there to make the elemental effects worse. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, that's her whole shtick. In Icewind Dale. Yeah. I mean, yeah. she's got a decent campaign built around her. The campaign is a load of fun. It is. There's a lot of cool shit in there. Um, but I don't know why they named it off of her. I feel yeah, like, that's fair. I feel like they didn't need to. There's more shit going on. Yeah. yeah. But it, it's a good way to... Your hook is that, hey, that's there's right. blizzards you can't leave. Yeah. She's the reason why. But there, there's more. There's more. Yeah. So. Yeah. I guess I'm going second with the 12, uh, and I'm going to cover Demogorgon, or Demogorgon, or Demogorgon. Uh, there's a lot of different pronunciations. I don't like Demogorgon. Yeah. I like Demo. Yeah. Demogorgon is my is my preferred, just because it's not Stranger Things. No. I was, I was just going to mention that, yeah, this is a whole different thing. Yeah. Um, different creature. Yep. But and again, we've covered him in depth in the past, too. Yeah, we have. So and we're going to blow through him. Last year's... Halloween episode. Yes. So take a look back. Check All it right, out. Brad, blow Demogorgon. All right. Oh, boy. <laughs> no, thank you. Uh, Demogorgon, known as the Prince of Demons, the Sibilant Beast, and Master of the Spiraling Deaths. Demogorgon is, or Demogorgon, is chaos embodied. He wants to be rid of all good things that are good or ordered. Uh, the lower body is reptilian form with clawed web feet. Torso looks like that of an ape with tentacles coming out of the shoulders. Specifically a mandrill. In previous editions, it's always been a mandrill. Yep. Um, mm. The artwork doesn't support that so much in 5th edition because it's more right. evil and shadowed and yeah, dark. Yeah, of course. But, yeah. like, but it is specifically a mandrill. Well, nice. I dig that. Um, they have two monkey-like heads, which are named... Again, mandrills. Yeah. Uh, Amuel and Hathrodiah. Simply gazing upon Demogorgon will, Demogorgon will cause madness. So Demogorgon, I'm going to say it as many different ways as I can. Yeah, obviously, this sure. This, this is chaos embodied, so I feel like the name should also shift. Roll yeah. with it. Uh, so Demogorgon resides within in Abyssum, which is on the Gaping Maw, which is a layer of the Abyss. So if you want to find them, that's where they are. They live in a palace which is mostly underwater, but the part above the water looks like two snake-like towers with a skull on the top. Should you find yourself in the lair of Demogorgon, you may end up seeing double as they can, it can create an illusion of itself. Or perhaps you may see nothing at all as it enshrouds you in darkness. This is assuming that you can even maintain sanity in the approach to the lair, as you must pass a DC 23 wisdom saving throw to avoid going insane should you come within a mile of the lair. This effect is instantly manifest in many ways. You may think someone's out to kill you. You may feel they need to kill everything you encounter. Just name a couple of them. The rules are in the book. Check it out. Um, it will be in... Out of the Abyss. Mordecai and Mordecai's Tome of Foes. Yeah. Mm. Also has a lot of the actual spec... Or uh, the actual stat It's actually block. a reprint in Mordenkainen's. Okay. Yeah. So his, his stat block is right out of... You're uh, probably more likely to have access to that if... You're going to have either of those books. Yeah, and frankly, Morton Kindness has a bunch of stuff about cults and yes. and his influence in the world. So the lore is better in Morton Kindness. Absolutely. That's where I pulled everything from and a bit of... Like I say, it was just a reprint. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, so Demogorgon has existed in D&D from the beginning and has remained mostly unchanged in both description and power level. As a denizen of the 88th layer of the Abyss, Demogorgon has struck fear into even the bravest of adventurers. Legends say that Demogorgon was originally a primordial, the first step, step foot in the abyss. They say he originally only had one head until it was split in two by Amoth, god of justice and mercy. 
interesting little piece of lore there. Yeah, I like yeah. that. Um, Demogorgon has a CR of 26 with stats to match everything jacked to the moon. Attacks come from tentacles for melee attacks. And should it make eye contact with you, you must succeed on a wisdom saving throw or be stunned, charmed, or confused. It also has legendary actions allowing it to make a tail attack or a gaze attack between turns. Do you like Demogorgon for homebrew campaigns? For homebrew campaigns? I think just as an embodiment of chaos, yes. I would give it probably a different form just to... We had uh, Demogorgon make an appearance in my last campaign. Yeah. Uh, Megan and Dan uh, actually went for a walk through Demogorgon's psyche. Mm-hmm. Oh, how did that point. go? Not well. Not great. No, no, it did not go well. And as a matter of fact... <laughs> was um, Dan drug-fueled? No, 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 no. He, he was shaking in his boots, though. Yeah. Um, and as a matter of fact, we actually had uh, Demogorgon grapple Megan at one point. Yeah. How did that go? Not well. No. <laughs> I li- the fact that you live to tell a tale is... I was rolling a D8 the whole time. Yeah. Every time I rolled, I'd roll a D8. And if I ever rolled a 1, he would just drop them and walk away. Yeah. And I did roll a one a couple of times because mm-hmm. you guys ran into him a couple of times. Mm. Um, and he was actually, you guys harnessed him, convinced him to go to war against the goddess of death. We, we talked to him. Yeah. <laughs> it did not go well for you guys no. by any means. How did you even have a semblance of conversation? Casey That's... got fucked up. Yeah. Like our, we, we played with sanity in that game yeah. a little bit. So There were sanity rolls. It did not go well. No. Yeah. We, you guys nearly lied. It was you bad. should have disadvantage if you are playing with sanity rules. 100%. That's what was happening. Yeah. And there was a roll every round. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and it was not good. No. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the end, he betrayed you, stomped your character's god to death. Yep. And then fucked off into the world and he's still out there somewhere. Yeah, so you just The fact that you are alive is a very kind gift from Adam. Uh, well, he stomped my character's god. And then she died. Oh, and then you died. Okay, perfect. <laughs> yeah, okay. As I would expect. Anything less than death just would be... Uh... So, Demon yeah. Gorgon is uh, not to be fucked with? No. But yeah. we, no. we tried to fuck kerfuck with. Well, okay. <laughs> that's on you. Well, I believe that you tried to kerfuck with somebody else in this campaign as well, Megan. I, I do a lot of kerfuckery. <laughs> <laughs> Another evil uh, god level, god tier. Um, and you're going to discuss them. them. Yeah, uh, Tiamat. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> brilliant. I feel like Tiamat's been almost every campaign I've played recently. So, so. I know Dave hates his players. No, but look, look, look this was... You um, must love yours to let them walk away from god-level threats. Hey, look, this character was a black dragonborn necromancer who worshipped Tiamat. Okay, So fair. Tiamat was like, yeah, sure, I'll yeah, help go out. for it. Yeah. All right. Conversation cool. went well, I guess. That one, comparatively? Could, yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. All right, so to get into Tiamat, I guess the easiest way to describe her is the chromatic dragon queen, not to be confused with Pepperina. Uh, super spiteful, super vain, super arrogant, like just full not of Not to be confused with Pepperina. Pepperina. Uh, and for those of you who don't know, she is a very unique dragon in the fact that she does have one head for each primary chromatic dragon. Yeah, yeah. Each one operates separately from, with the powers of the subsequent chromatic dragon. So fire, air, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. Along with yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, basically a tail that is not dripping in bitches, but poison. Sure. Yes. Yeah. The two could be one and the same. I know. I mean, <laughs> it is Tiamat. Um, so much like some of the other ones we've covered, Tiamat's history is long. It, there's a lot to what's happened yeah. through her. Like, she's been there since the beginning. Yeah. Like, from what I could track it to, like, book almost one she was sure. within. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the history of her can get very convoluted, confusing, and there's a lot of weird time skips and a lot of, like, 
no one really knows how she was birthed and created. Um, but the thing to note basically about her is that she is a tyrant who is seeking total and utter control of all the realms. She is like the ultimate big bad evil guy. Um, she, however, is a homebody. So she never leaves her lair and makes everybody else do her bidding for her. Well, you know she's not allowed to, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> kind. She, she's, she's stuck with uh, Zeriel, I believe, on the first level of hell. Yeah. So she is stuck. That's where she is stuck. But she has such a cult following that you will find her everywhere in almost every realm. Oh, yeah. 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 So um, basically she uses her church or her cult to kind of act in her stead. So I feel like in a campaign, you are not interacting with Tiamat directly. You were always interacting with a conduit. Or if you're me, you're an asshole and you actually call on Tiamat. But, you know. Well, it, what's interesting is that that's one of the major complaints in the Tyranny of Dragons um, yeah, the Horn of the Dragon Queen and or the Rise of Tiamat. You never meet but her. You never really meet. If she raises at the end, you're screwed. Yeah, here's a stat block. Good luck. Yeah, right. But for it's the same with elemental evils, right? The whole point is to prevent the summoning or the yeah. But, that's the goal. But you go for how many hundreds of pages? Yeah, and never meet her. It's all cultists. It's a little disappointing. It is, and it's one of the one of the complaints. So you know, don't. They yeah. just don't, <laughs> don't do play it. it. Find a better module. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, it's considered to be the weakest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so speaking of which, like in the current times in 5th edition, she is most famously found within the Rise of Tiamat. She does have her own little yeah. little story campaign, which lo and behold is, spoilers, an adventure to stop the cult of right to be raising and releasing Tiamat. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, right. Which can end with a battle against the goddess herself, but... That if you get to that point, to. you're toast. Well, yeah. I mean, that's when you run up against Demogorgon as well in yeah. the Abyss. Is they're trying to raise him and like stop it. Yeah. Right. Like there was a constant theme for these early uh, modules as well that we're yeah. running into a lot. Cultists, cultists, cultists. Right. Yeah. And to get into her stat block a little bit, I won't dive too deep into it because there's a lot based on each head that she has. But basically, she's a CR thirty. Does each head just have its own breath weapon? Is that the pretty much? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Based on its element. Yeah. yeah. Um. And she can use it per turn, not per round. So yes. that's a weird key wording for her, is that it's not just per... Like, it's like legendary actions. It'll yeah. go and go and go. Yeah, yeah. exactly, right? She, and she's basically immune to everything. Uh, and she has rejuven, rejuvenation abilities, so she's just basically never going to die. Um, so please don't don't poke the, the, this bear. The only other thing that is as deadly as she is, I believe, is a Tarrasque. And she outclasses the Tarrasque clay down site. Yeah. yeah. They have the same CR rating, but... But I would rather face the Tarrasque. Yeah, me too. Hands down. <laughs> Just get fly and you're fine. Yeah, the other, like, the other scary thing is that because she has the chromatic heads, like there is no way your team would have immunity against her. Like no, you might, you something is going to something, get you. Something is going to hurt someone on your team, right? So in a campaign, she is definitely your big bad evil guy, hands down. Whether you're homebrewed or what have you, like this is your... Unless you're playing a campaign where you are cultists of Tiamat, like our one friend did in our campaign. Yeah. You are going to be fighting her at some point, and that would suck. Um... I, get, I mean, the classic thing is to use her as a deity for your warlocks or your evil paladins. Sure. I love to do that. Yeah. Um, but as I said, you'd be more inter- more likely to be interacting with her cult or playing a character that is within her cult. Like, I think that would be an interesting t- play. Like, I, I know we had a character who did that, but it'd be interesting to have it where you were actually a part of a cult that is active. Oh, yeah, no. Uh, yeah. Our our player was off doing her own thing separate from the cult of yeah. the map. So Just a worshiper from the side, yeah. right? So... 
Just, just a fan. Just a big, big <laughs> fan. What's interesting to note is that Bahamut, who is the good, yeah, the, the good metallic yeah. side of this dragon coin, yeah. does not get nearly the spotlight that no. Tiamat does. I'm excited for Fizzbands to come out. I think this episode is going to air in December. Yeah. Um, and it's September. We're like three months in advance on this one. But I'm curious to see. I would love to know what Bahamut brings to the table. Uh, in that book, so. Yeah, it shall be interesting. Do you guys have any final thoughts on these guys before we, we wrap up this long episode? <laughs> Not a whole lot. I mean, there's some interesting characters here. I think a lot of them are setting specific. There's a few, like Dernan, you could probably pull out. You can make your own version of Volo. Right. It's almost few... like the lower level they are, the easier it is to drop them and plunk them into Absolutely. places. Otherwise, well. you're just using the lore and the history as like little grabs and pulls here and there, yeah. right? And yeah. at what point are you just like, yeah, you're obviously just making your own Tiamat. Why don't you just use Tiamat? Mm-hmm. Like, why are we not just playing in the Forgotten Realms if you really want that to be your big bad guy? Yeah. I also really, like, I will take the inspiration from a lot of these. Tiamat is is imprisoned yeah. on the first layer of hell. She's not a fiend. No. Right? She is a, she's been a super god and now she's a lesser god. She goes yeah. back and forth. Mm-hmm. But she's trapped in her spawning pits. Man, I would love to do a tour of the nine hells in one campaign where you walk through her spawning pits. You may not find her there. But you'll see, but you will find her influence and what that's like. And like, there's there's a lot of cool shit that you can do with with the influence of these yeah. these creatures, like well, especially these god level ones, right? And they're not even going to be in their own domain all the time, right? You yeah. never, so you could walk through their domain and not see them. Yeah. Or you could walk through the world and see the impact that they have. I mean, but even things like um, Xanathar, right? It gives me the ability to say, hey, you know what? I can have a, a beholder NPC. Or I can have crime lords, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if you never thought about that before, you you have an actual a template almost to look at it to figure out how to use this in your own campaign. So, Something I feel like is missing is we don't really have that just your regular human or whatever race you want to pick. But just your regular character who's maybe running a city. But almost like your, I don't know, what would I call it? Like your... Like a mayor? Li- or your little finger. Right, who's got their hands and everything that's kind of running a bunch of things behind the scenes, but like a bigger version of Littlefinger. There's a reason I always play humans. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't even have to be a human. Like it could be an elf or something, but like somebody who's just in society, no one knows what they're doing. I'd like to see kind of a stat block for like, kind of like a mastermind. I will say this. There are a couple of um, NPCs that we did not cover from from like Waterdeep. Yeah. Um, from Dragon Heist specifically. There is... Some political intrigue in Horde of the Dragon I want Queen. It bigger. Mm-hmm. Right? But there's also um, Storm King's Thunder is all political yeah. stuff as well. So you can definitely have characters like that injected in there. Yeah. Actually, you know what? No, now that I'm thinking about it, I want more of like a Moriarty. Right? That's oh, the... like that level of. This is this person who's just pulling a bunch of strings, running a bunch of things behind the show. Nobody knows who they really are. Go to Acquisitions Incorporated. Yeah. To find that's guilds true. Got with, some of that. with the heads of guilds in there. Yeah. And um, and another good place to look is the Guildmaster's Guide for Ravnica because mm. they have ten different guilds and each one of them has like a super powered level twenty Sphinx right. or like like they're like big like guild leaders that are very much pulling the strings and there are a couple of organized crime syndicates in that as well. So perfect. So I mean that stuff does exist out there. This is why I say we need to go looking at the NPCs that exist mm-hmm. right. and say what inspiration not just. Plug and play, because you can. Yeah. But what else can you can you glean from them? Yeah. Perfect. So 
I think that's all for this discussion on the famous names of D&D, but there are a ton of other pieces of lore in Dungeons & Dragons, so subscribe or follow, and check back regularly to see what inspirations and insights we'll have for you in the future. Next week, we're going to be taking a good long look at one of the most popular playable races in 5th edition, the alternative to the Edgelord, the other Edgelord, the Asimar. Thanks for listening to another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. If you'd like to support us, we have a donate button on our website at www.itsamimic.com, as well as a store for some awesome merch. We also rely on word of mouth to get news of the podcast out there to the community, so please pass the word to everyone you know that we're available on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube, as well as most other podcast apps. Thanks again for listening to It's a Mimic, where you never know what you're going to get. Thank you for listening to another It's a Mimic production. Inquiries, shoutouts, requests, and mailbag questions can be sent to info at itsamimic.com. All right, so we've just gone through a massive rundown of celebrities within the world of D&D and the Forgotten Realms specifically. So I want to know, who in your campaign is the most famous celebrity? <laughs> okay, all right, let's grab dice and roll for All this. right. Um, I got a two. I got a four. 18 right, for Brad, me. Brad, answer your own question. All right. So my most famous character in our current campaign that I'm running with Dan is a pirate campaign. And at the moment, I would say Remineneth, who is a pirate dragon. Well, a blue dragon who puts on airs of being a pirate. Well, not a dragon born, an actual pirate. Eye patch and peg leg and shit. Cur- so she wears dragon. a costume. She has a dead skeleton that she wears on her shoulder as a parrot. She puts on a tricorn hat and an eye patch and talks in a pirate accent. The that's first time our party met her, she didn't. And then all of a sudden, the next time we saw her, she returned and did. And every time since then, she has as well. That is the most damn bullshit I've ever heard. And yeah. I love it. I, it that, oh, that's it's fun. Like, yeah, I absolutely love it. Yeah. Does it have to be D&D related? Or are we well, just no, in your campaign. No, come on, go for it. Yeah, okay. You're playing L5R, yeah. right? I play a lot of L5R. So that's right true. now we're playing in like a... Um, uh, scorpion slash crab style campaign, which is basically crime lords. So okay. basically playing an L.A. Noir style game. I dig it. So currently, currently the most famous celebrities are the five families of crime lords. Right. Um, and currently we are fighting what we're calling um, basically the owner of a geisha house. And uh, basically it's one of my characters who has three siblings she didn't know existed. And now she realized they do exist and they're in the world. And so, are they geishas so far or are they crime lords? What shit is this? It's yeah. weird, yeah. So, like, <laughs> are it, they the geishas or are they the crime lords? Uh, yes, uh, yes. Oh, geisha crime lords. <laughs> so, there's a lot of moving pieces, but the, the thing in the end of it ended up being that my character's weird unknown family is now the main big bad guy. It's like nice. the most famous. Yeah. I do not watch anime, but this sounds like there's probably already one that we exists. We play it That's like exactly it's an anime. This. Yeah. Well, I watched Memoirs for a Geisha for the first time oh. like a month ago. It was one of Miyake's favorite movies. I watched so. it so long ago, yeah. And, you know, the idea of the, like, crime lord backstabbing Geisha, it, it almost fits. It there's does. It really there. does. Yeah. yeah. Um, in my campaign, I mean... The previous two campaigns have existed in this world, and they're set up now to be the forces of good and the forces of evil that are diametrically opposed to mm-hmm. each other, so they're both super fucking famous. Right. But there's actually a series. I don't know if you've ever run into this, Megan. It was a big deal before you joined, and then it kind of got left by the wayside. Mm. Um, there's a party of five characters that exist in my world that are incredibly famous, um, and they are 
Marion the Barbarian, Bernard the Bard, Gage the Mage, Eric the Cleric, and Orlock the Warlock. I hate it. That's delightful. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Delectable. Yeah. So they they were just a bunch of high-powered heroes that kind of ran through and saved the realm and then moved on and left a power vacuum. I thought you were going to mention your uh, little cobalt time traveler. <laughs> no. Cobalt. Uh, yeah, I've... I have many NPCs, but yes. those ones are like legit celebrities in the world. Right. People will like, like, there will be parades when they come back into town. So I cool. love that about them. But I hate them. <laughs> <laughs> um, just a general kind of DM tip or even just player tip. If you're going to want to utilize one of these celebrities as an NPC within your games or your campaigns or use even use as a big bad evil guy, you do not have to be a lore master. No, no. Sometimes I get a little bit nervous about picking things from that are deep and dripped in not bitches, but but, but lore. <laughs> but yeah. lore, and yeah. I get nervous because I don't know everything, and I always have a fear. But lore. But lore. <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> and I always feel like I will get called out for not knowing everything. That's and not what D&D is about. No. Exactly. And that's what I'm trying to remind people is that that's not what D&D is about. And if you're playing with the group that is doing that to you, leave that group. Um, it, you should definitely be able to pick and choose the pieces that you feel fit with your campaign, will fit with your players and fit with your characters and utilize it to the best of your capabilities. You do not have to be Dan. Right. And and no one's expecting you to have 30 no. plus years of experience Absolutely. on this stuff. Right? No. Like, like I, I am, uh, look, I love my lore. I really do. Yeah. But even I pick and choose what I want to put into them. Yeah. Oh, it'd be really cool to... I mean, I had the rod of seven parts in our last campaign. Yeah. That is just dripping in Aarakocra nonsense. I don't yeah. think we ever met one. Not even touched it. So, like, I... That's that's how I run it, right? Every I mean, campaign is a separate multiverse, if you want to think of it that way, of the core lore anyways. So the fact that there's going to be differences, you can just attribute to the fact that this is this version of... Yeah. yeah, which is what this episode is about, right? Yeah. Because people don't take these characters and put them in other places. For some reason, they're considered sacred or tied specifically yeah. to, to this one adventure. Mm-hmm. Why the fuck not? Dernan should be If over you're there. in yeah. Waterdeep for any reason, even in a homebrew campaign, you should bump into Dernan. Right, yeah. but if you are doing a homebrew campaign outside of the Forgotten Realms... Yeah. You can have Dern. Nobody's yep. going to care. Like, do your no, thing. Put yeah. him in there. I've even played the Strahd campaign from the book multiple times, and it happened in very different ways. So yep. you do not have to know things cover to cover. You do not have to know every detail or every scale a dragon has. Just pick what you want and have fun with it. Thanks for listening. Bye.